that just in case I decide to buy WCW, you and I were on the same path. Because I am the man they call And the question is, Lawrence Taylor, are you going to show up? Are you going to be there? Are you going to tell the world what we want to hear or what I want to hear? Hey, I'll be there, brother. Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to February of 1995, the volume one of this month's show. Volume two is a, a very good look at an excellent month of ECW stuff on there. But here on this part of the show, we're going to be looking at uh, WWF and WCW, including the Super Bowl pay-per-view. Introducing first, Kieran Mitchell. Kieran, good evening. Uh, evening, Bob. How are you? I'm good, mate, I'm good. And uh, making not only his debut, but the first man from outside the UK to appear on this show, all the way from Canada, Jeff Parker. Jeff, good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's uh, uh, almost, uh, it's almost across the pond, right? Um, uh, well, I think we see across the pond as Yanks, so I had to do a proper introduction there. <laughs> Jeff, kick <laughs> us off with the news. All right, so... uh WCW was in hot water this month after they used uh, the death of Crusher Jerry Blackwell as a hook for people to call into their hotline, um, which is always so classy. <laughs> um, mean Gene Okerlund fronted a clip on uh, WCW Saturday Night's uh, TBS television show asking people to call in to find out, and I quote, which 45-year-old former heavyweight champion has died. Now, obviously, this implication was to call in and find out whether the person who passed away was, in fact, Ric Flair who is most definitely not dead. Um, we'll have a special report on this later in the show. Classy move by WCW. Flair, in fact, returned to WCW in a big way this month, eventually aligning himself with Vader after hinting that he could even buy the company if it meant getting back in. At this stage, WCW are being faithful to the retirement stipulation that Flair lost at Halloween Havoc, with Flair making reference to it multiple times. However, it is a when rather than if Flair comes back at this stage. Flair had a big part to play in the main event of the WCW Super Bowl pay-per-view, ultimately uh, being the man that forced the DQ finish in a match between the band they call Big Van Vader and uh, Hulk Hogan. The match did a very nice job building Vader. Um, he, he even kicked out of Hogan's big boot and leg drop combination at one uh, at, at a one count before powerbombing Hogan and covering Hogan with the referee down. So he, he looked pretty strong. Uh, Flair would eventually just start attacking Hogan, cementing his partnership with Vader. Hogan will go on to face Vader in a strap match at WCW's uh, next pay-per-view next month called Uncensored. Sid Vicious returned to the WWF this month as the man called Sid, as Shawn Michaels' new bodyguard. Michaels left his spot as Raw announcer before making the announcement. And despite speculation that Jesse Ventura would return in this place, it was instead taken by James E. Cornette. In other WWF news, the top WrestleMania card is shaping up as follows. Shawn Michaels versus Diesel, Bret Hart versus Bob Backlund, and Bam Bam Bigelow versus Lawrence Taylor. 
WCW will be increasing their number of pay-per-view events this year from seven to nine by dropping Clash of the Champions events in both June and November, leaving only one more Clash in the in August of 1995. The mood coincide the move coincides with WCW increasing the price of their shows to um, as well from 24.95 to 27.50 and up at uh, $32.50 on the day of the show. Um, it's said that the plan may be to increase the number of shows as many as even 11 in 1996, with WrestleMania being the only month the company doesn't run a show up against. A series of smaller WCW stories for you now. Firstly, Steve Austin returned to action far sooner than anyone expected, but got re-injured needing 12 stitches above his eye. The butcher, Ed Leslie, is turning back babyface with the split of the three faces of fear. It's said that Leslie wants to hang out with real-life friend Hulk Hogan away from the ring, but cannot do that while he is a heel. And finally, Hulk Hogan may well complete the set of 80s WWF characters in WCW by creating the next Andre the Giant. WCW have signed a 7'2 wrestler by the name of Paul White, as Hogan wants another permanent heel on the roster. It said he's training in Atlanta, so don't expect a debut anytime soon. Well, now that I'm a, a straight, clean-living civilian out in the public and not really part of the greatest sport in the world I'm talking about, professional wrestling, I wanted to, for my discussion last week, and let's clarify something. First of all, when I'm out here, a little punk like you keeps your mouth shut because I'm still Ric Flair. <laughs> Per my discussion last week, I wanted to make sure that just in case I decide to buy WCW, you and I were on the same path, that you and I had the same understanding. And I think it goes like this. In October of 1994, I agreed to retire from wrestling anywhere in the world if Hulk Hogan we're fortunate enough to beat me. Is that right? You put your name on a contract, and that's exactly what you agreed to. And you did retire after Hulk Hogan pinned you for the heavyweight championship in Detroit. Well, have I or have I not lived up to that agreement? I'll answer for you. I have never wrestled since October of 94. However, with the coming of the new year, with it being February, really, 18th, 1995, I have decided that I'm tired of watching it on TV. <laughs> and I have decided that either I'm going to buy this company from Turner, I may become an advisor to someone out there in the greatest sport in the world, but some way, somehow, I'm going to get back in. Not in wrestling tights, but I want to make sure that you understand, and you know Nick Brockwinkle, i got a lot of respect for you. But the bottom line is, I'm Ric Flair, there's only one of me. And whether you like it or you don't like it, it's the best thing going today. And just so that you don't get upset tomorrow, I'm going to be in Baltimore. 
And I've got two front row tickets. And I'm going to go down and watch that huge main event between Vader and Hogan. You know, I've got a lot of respect for Hogan, but I like Vader. That doesn't mean I'm going to cheer for Vader or cheer for Hogan. Everybody knows that I'm going to Baltimore because I'm going for the party. There's going to be a great party somewhere and I'm going to hang my hat wherever the victor's at. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, this <laughs> limousine riding, jet flying, wheeling dealing, kiss stealing, son of a gun, is coming back in one capacity or another. See you in Baltimore, brother. Vader! He absolutely can. He didn't say anything that was wrong. And every right that he expressed that he has, he does. Ric Flair will be in Baltimore. And fans will be back with more on Saturday night. We start our WCW action on February 4th. On WCW Pro, Arn Anderson defended his WCW TV title against Dustin Rhodes. It should come as no surprise that the match ended in a disqualification when Bunkhouse Buck and the Blacktop Bully stormed the ring. Duggan ran out to make the save. On WCW Saturday night, we get another video package of Brian Pillman, who is driving around various California landmarks in a white Corvette, culminating in him picking up a woman who asked him, Do blondes really have more fun? Mean Gene Oakland invited people to call his hotline to find out which 45-year-old world champion had died. Vader got counted out during a handicap squash match, but ended things by doing his power to one of the jobbers onto the concrete floor on the outside. You may recall him doing that to Cactus Jack two years ago. That gave Jack a very legitimate head injury. Vader cut a promo calling his match with Hogan as the biggest match in pro sports. Randy Savage did a sit-down interview. He said that if he stayed in the WWF and won the WWF title, then people would ask him why he wasn't in the WCW with the stars there. So he went where the action is. The main event is Randy Savage, Sting and Dustin Rhodes versus Bunkhouse Buck, Blacktop Bully and Dick Slater. The match ended with Buck nailing Slater with his boot by accident. Savage dropped the elbow and the face team won. After the match, Sting and Meng squared up at ringside. Hogan ends the show with a promo. He says the winner of him versus Vader is going to shape wrestling going into the future. On WCW main event on the 5th, Eric Bischoff was commentating on an Alex Wright squash match. Commenting on Jean-Paul Levesque, who Wright defeated in December, Bischoff said a lot of wrestling prognosticators thought that he was going to be one of the top players in WCW, but he just couldn't quite cut the mustard. He then added, I guess he didn't have it. Bischoff also name-checked Max Payne as a guy who couldn't make it. Payne debuted on WWF TV in January. On February 11th, WCW Saturday night, Brian Pillman returned to action winning a squash match. On commentary, Heenan said he understood Pillman was having a personality transplant. A sit-down interview with Ric Flair read, he said anyone who thought he was gone seemed wrong. He said he merely retired. He says that Ric Flair has never left pro wrestling. 
Flair talks about having been the only person to have faced Hogan and Vader. He described Vader as the man. In a video package, Sting took us behind the face paint, looking at some of his ring jackets from down the years, including his one from the first clash against Flair and his first title win against Luger. In the main event, it's Stars and Stripes versus Harlem Heat for the WCW Tag Titles. Sherry gouged Patriot's eyes, forcing the distraction that saw the Heat retain the titles. The Nasty Boys ran out after the match, preventing a post-match beatdown. They want the titles too. On the February 18th edition of WCW Saturday Night, we see the in-ring re-debut of Big Bubba Rogers, formerly the Guardian Angels. After winning, Sting ran out and attacked Bubba. Avalanche ran out and attacked Sting, then Savage ran out to Sting's aid. They're touting extra security in the building tonight with Vader, Hogan and Flair all slated to be present. Mean Gene Oakland is touting rumours the Ultimate Warrior, it's a plug for his hotline. Tim Horner returned to WCW for a surprisingly competitive match with Paul Roma, Roma eventually won with an elbow drop from the top. Ric Flair comes out for an interview. Nick Bockwinkle is present. Flair addresses his retirement stipulation from Halloween Havoc and says that he's not gone against that agreement, but Flair said that he's tired of watching it on TV. So either he's going to buy WCW off of Turner or become an advisor to someone, but he wants a way back in, even if he cannot wrestle. Flair says he has two front row tickets for Super Bowl tomorrow. Flair said he likes both Vader and Hogan, but did give a wink towards the camera at the end when referencing Vader. Paul Roma comes out after an Alex Wright squash match and shouts at him for the, from the floor. Doug Dillinger holds him back, but Roma remains convinced Wright is too scared to confront him. In the main event of Saturday night, it's Johnny B. Bad vs. Arn Anderson for the TV title. In an amusing sidebar, when ring announcer Gary Capetta announced two minutes left on the time limit, Heenan praised Capetta's announcing and Tony Schiavone said at least he's got a head of hair on his head, a not-so-subtle reference to the WWF's Howard Finkel. To the surprise of no one, the time limit ran out, it rang the bell just as bad it had the match won. Have the Macho Man and Sting together against Big Bubba and Avalanche. How does something bad come something good? Yeah, I got the picture now, yeah, tomorrow night. That's just the tip of the iceberg. I'm going to watch this guy's back, and there's nothing that's going to happen to my tag team partner in Baltimore. Oh, yeah! How about it? The Macho Man says, oh, yeah! Come on! How about that? Oh, man, Big Bubba, let me tell you something. You're worse than Avalanche. You're the same breed. You both want to get in this figure's face. You're both so confused. You both need a horrible attitude adjustment. And let me tell you something. Tomorrow night, Super Brawl. The Angel's out the door. You're nobody's boss anymore. You're not my boss. You're not his boss. You're not an angel. You're not even big. You're not big Bubba to me. You're nothing but trash. You're going to end up crying the blues. Tied up in a nut. Scorpion Deathlock and the Macho Man is flying high off the top rope. You guys want to play mind games? Yeah. Y'all come down to the Baltimore Arena tomorrow night and it's going to be complete mental insanity and the avalanche and Big Baba will go get beat big time by the Stinger and the Madness. Yeah. The Macho Man, Randy Savage, and the 
And we come back in, firstly, for a review of WCW main event. This appeared the hour before uh, Super Bowl. Uh, so we start the main event uh, with the show, effectively acting as a pre-show. We cut to a shot of a long limousine arriving in Baltimore. Firstly, a woman goes to step step out, but the door quickly closes. Vader then steps out, pumped up, then runs off the cameraman. A second limousine arrives, and Vader is convinced that Hogan is in it. Vader gets violent with the limo driver, punches in a window, but there seems to be nobody inside. Eric Bischoff says there's a lot of speculation on who is in the limo, a woman it seems, although they speculate it may have also been Flair. In the opening match, Paul Arnold defeats Brad Armstrong using the ropes for leverage. You miss nothing with this one. We then get a promo from each of the members of the stud stable, previewing their respective matches tonight. Next up, it's Stars and Stripes versus Romeo Valentino and Dino Casanova. Vader immediately walks out down the aisleway where he's looking for Hogan, makes his way back to the announce position near the stage and asks Bischoff where Hogan is. Bischoff tells him, quote, take care of things in the ring. So he does. He walks out, pulls Bagwell off the apron. Meanwhile, Patriot is busy winning the match, but Vader then lays waste to Valentino, Casanova and then powerbombs Patriot. Video package airs previewing Hogan and Vader. Once again, Hogan popping up after the powerbomb at the Clash is not included. The main event of main event is Johnny Bad versus Iron Anderson in a TV title lumberjack match. The match ended with Blacktop Bully, one of the lumberjacks, pushing Bad off the top rope with the referee distracted. Anderson retains and the heels fled down the aisleway. And that brings us to WCW Super Bowl. Jeff kicks off with the results. All right, so the opening match of the evening was Das Wonder Kid, Alex Wright, defeating Paul Roma in around 13 minutes with a roll-up. Uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan defeated Bunkhouse Buck with Colonel Robert Parker and Ming at around 11.58-ish. Uh, afterwards, Ming came in and knocked Duggan out with a nice savat kick. Uh, we then had Kevin Sullivan with The Butcher defeating Evad Dave Sullivan in around seven minutes. Uh, the tag titles were the next match with Harlem Heat retaining, uh, by disqualification over the Nasty Boys in a very good match. The Blacktop Bully, uh, with Colonel Robert Parker again, defeated Dustin Rhodes in a 60 minute match, um, while Parker held the ropes, uh, sorry, held, uh, Dustin's legs, uh, so he couldn't kick out of three. Uh, then there was, uh, the co-main event was Sting and Macho Man Randy Savage defeating Avalanche and Big Bubba Rogers in a tag match around 10 minutes. And in the main event of the evening, Hulk Hogan defeated Vader via disqualification to retain the WCW world title at around 15 minutes, um, when Ric Flair and Vader started double teaming Hogan for the DQ. Kieran, what do you think? Uh, well, overall of Super Bowl. Correct. Um, well, so we'll get into more specifics later on, Bob, but again, it was just, a lot of it was just so lackluster. And again, I go back to the points I've made before about the way they finish in, the way they choose to finish matches just sometimes absolutely baffles me. Also, card structure on this one was a big down point for me. O- overall, again, it was just disappointing. Jeff. Um, again, I, I think the me, I, I had, I took most issue with the matchmaking here. I, I enjoyed, I mean, I, I thought there were several solid matches. I just think that they didn't really highlight the guys they wanted to highlight appropriately. And then you get the, uh, main event matches where Hogan and his buddies are kind of highlighted, uh, more than anybody. So I, I don't know who you really build here, but, uh, I, en- I enjoyed it, uh, more than I probably thought I would have <laughs> looking at the card. Uh, I enjoyed the last two, uh, 
last two hours, last kind of 145, probably three of the matches were were anything of note. Well, actually, the opener was definitely something of note, although not necessarily for the right reasons. Um, but yeah, this show was, there was too many negatives on this show, Kieran touched on, on the match finishes, and we'll certainly come to those as we get to them. Um, but there were a lot of down points on this show, and I don't think the high points made up for them, particularly, um, yeah, that tag match. I mean, basically, because, um, the Nasty Boys did win the titles, technically. Uh, well, actually, technically they didn't. Uh, they did win the titles, and the crowd popped, and the crowd was silent for like the entire night up until that match started. Um, and then we get to the classic WCW over-the-top rope disqualification. Um, oh, we'll come to that. But I think that was that was probably... like that, that. This show, in a nutshell, was that 45 seconds where the crowd went berserk after what they perceived to be a tag title change, and then the... WCW came out, or the, the referees did, and said, no, we're going to reverse the decision and award a DQ for an over-the-top rope elimination. Um, anyway, we start with Shivoni, Oakland, and Heenan. Oakland promises an interview with Ric Flair during the show, and they recap the Vader stuff from main event. We start with Paul Roma versus Das Wunderkind, Alex Wright. Roma attacked Wright while he was dancing, with noticeable prop from the crowd while he did. Roma pressed arms Wright, then mocks his dancing which gets another positive reaction from the crowd. Wright does a sunset flip and then dueling arm drags for locking in an arm submission, which Roma barely sells. Roma grabs hold of Wright's arm. Wright kips up. Roma slams him down. Wright kips up. Roma slams him down. Wright kips up onto the turnbuckle, then locks in an arm drag of his own. Out comes Paul Orndorff. Wright has the arm lock in, but Roma isn't really selling it. Roma then picks up Wright and does multiple standing backbreakers. He then tosses Wright to the outside. Roma slingshots Wright back into the ring. Wright goes for a backslide, but Roma stands up in it. Roma locks in a sleeper and periodically loses the ropes for leverage with, while Orndorff distracts the referee. Wright rallies on the third time uh, when the ref checks his arm, but the fans barely react. Wright misses a dropkick. Then Roma hits one of the best top rope elbow drops you are ever likely to see. Roma celebrates like he's just won the world title, stalls, then goes for a pin, but pulls Wright up. Roma charges after Wright in the corner, who gets out of the way. Wright and Roma then botch a hip toss. Wright goes for a crossbody block from the top. Roma catches him and they fall down over the opposite side ropes. Wright pins him, but Orndorff pulls Wright off. Roma and Orndorff have a conference at ringside. Wright dropkicks Roma, then rolls him up and barely gets a three count. If I'm being generous, Roma kicks out at about two and a half, but Wright wins anyway and stays undefeated. Heenan asks, can we see a replay? And Tony Schiavone says no. Kieran, what do you think? Uh, <laughs> like I said... Before it started, and not knowing any of the lead-up, or maybe what was going on behind the scenes, you can read between the lines later on, but he started cottoning on early that what the hell was going through Paul Roma's head during this match? But I was I was watching it, and I was thinking, he's looking pretty strong compared to what I've seen before. And then you're realising that it's not it's not Roma looking strong or, you know, right sort of giving him the upper upper hand. It's Roma just clearly no-selling absolutely everything. I think maybe Wright maybe got two or three moves that Roma stayed down for. Um, I, he did, I, I can't remember what moves that Wright put together, but I think he did three or four like quite heavy offensive moves, and Roma just kicks out on one. And then the end, when he clearly kicks out at two and a half, like you said, Bob, and the referee just goes, sod it, you lost, mate. Because it was getting absolutely ridiculous. So reading between the lines on that one, the, the match was just bizarre and like I said there must be something going on with Roma for him to be like that Jeff 
I got to start off by saying I thought this was like the second best Paul Rama match I'd ever seen. <laughs> um, I, I, I have to agree. I don't think I, I don't. I yeah. think R- Roma going into business for himself is far better than any other version of Paul Rama <laughs> I've ever witnessed. I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you that. The, the only match that comes close is their uh, the Power and Glory Rockers match at SummerSlam, where uh, Michaels blew his knee out, and it's just a it's a clear beat down of Marty Jannetty, and they were hot that night, and Philly was hot for the for the Power and Glory team. But it's funny, I don't blame Rama for going into business for himself as much as I blame the WCW bookers for putting a pretty boy semi high flying babyface in a match with a guy who has a better body, a better drop kick, and is equally just as handsome. So I mean. Uh, you know, how do you get right to look good in any case here when they don't really highlight his strengths with Rama? You've got guys backstage like Regal. Hell, uh, the grizzled vet Orndorff comes out. Um, they would have done a far better job of making right look good than a guy um, who basically had superior skills to what they were trying to emphasize with right. Yeah. Um, no, all, all very good points, though, to be honest, Jeff. I, I, I dare I say, I almost think you're probably overanalyzing it a bit in the sense that I think well, I mean, the story they built up, and and we covered this a bit in the TV review, was that Roma was, ironically enough, Roma was jealous of Wright. Now, okay, that was more in storyline, Roma being jealous of Wright's looks rather than what it appears to be in real life, which is Roma is jealous that Wright's getting a push he's not, or he's pissed off that Wright's getting a push he's not. Um, the match was bizarre, and I've watched this match about three or four times, and I generally don't. To, to that degree with, with stuff we review for this show just because it was so interesting and and, and Jeff as you say like <laughs> Roma is surprisingly entertaining when he's just not bothered about trying to make his opponent look good um, and Jeff that elbow drop was phenomenal just, he's, he's a hell of an athlete what can you say I mean it, it, even at the, at the young stallion days in WWF uh, he, he had a hell of a drop kick and he did stuff in this match where if you give him a space, he's got a hell of a body. He's he's going to be known. I mean, the the big, you know, uh, the, all the air le- leaves the room when he becomes a horseman, right? He's the big letdown. But if you look at him as an athlete, uh, there's something there. And my thoughts actually, when I watch this match, and you know, you know, you can tell he's no selling. You can tell he's he's not doing things that would make Alex Wright look good for Das Wonderkid. Especially, like I said, you got somebody like Steven Regal or Paul Orndorff who would do a better job. But I'm watching this, I'm going, I kind of want to see more of Paul Rama. And, like, you know, I'm going, like, well, Hercules Hernandez is working in, well, he just finished working in New Japan. Maybe bring them back and do the the power and glory in WCW. I mean, I actually, this is the first time I'd say, you know what, I kind of want to see Paul Rama again. Now, as a businessman, I don't know if I'd hire him, but that, uh, he he had some cool spots in that. And the elbow drop was awesome. Oh, Jakeo, sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, I just wanted to add, yeah, that, that I mean, that, el- that elbow drop, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. I'll just, just say that first. But I kind of, I kind of appreciate Jeff's points about, you know, that, or, and your points as well, Bob, about him going to business for himself. But really, that's, he's kind of doing that, but he's also him, doing himself a disservice. There's no reason why both of the wrestlers surely couldn't have got together and say, look, let's do this slightly differently. I want to get in a few more shots than probably what was booked beforehand. But to not give Wright anything was kind of a, can I say, dick move. It was just kind of, it was, it just, it just, it just, just, seeing that sort of to that level just riled me up a bit because he's just clearly, he's not going to give him anything at all, which was just, you know, it was a shame really. Well, I mean, in terms of, 
Roman's attitude going into this match, I get the sense it wasn't, it was more being pissed off at the fact he was losing. I think had, had this have been kind of a nefarious finish or had Roman been winning, I don't get the sense any of these problems really would have mattered. But I think once he found out he was losing to right, he thought, screw it. I'm just going to, I'm going to do my best to make right look as bad as possible, including kicking out early. There's kicking out a lot of ones and, and even like, I, this is a match, guys, that you've really got to go back and watch just because it, it, it's so fascinating to watch. But even like some of the smaller stuff where right bounces him off the ropes and goes to do an arm drag and, and Roma doesn't not do it, but they kind of, it, it looks like a botch. And I don't think it's a botch in the sense that I just don't get the sense Roma went up for it. Um, so he kind of sandbagged him almost. He, he can go up for an arm drag, I suppose. Um, and then he ended up kind of falling away into the corner. Um, but yeah, it, very difficult to grade this match on a normal scale, just in the sense that it's not really a normal match, but I, Jeff, it, it does, does, does right come out of this looking any stronger? I I don't think he looks strong at all. I think I think the the problem is is when somebody no sells you, someone's going to take part of the match. It's I mean and, and young right right's a young kid. You got to take your match then. So if Rama's not giving it to you, you got to take it from him. And he doesn't. He wasn't. Uh, he wasn't able to do that. So no. he comes out looking like a you know kind of like a skinny guy who just kind of got beat up by a guy who's got a better body and he got a kind of a fluke win. Well, what does that do for him? Nothing. It, now it, you know. It, it, oh, no, go on. Jeff. Oh, no, no, I was just going to say, in WCW, you know, who knows? Roma could have just got himself over like a million bucks because the crowd actually popped for him for once. And maybe, uh, you know, he'll be rewarded for bad behavior. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was kind of, that was going to be my next point, Jeff. Oh, was, it was off, off, no, it's okay. It's off the back of that. I mean, you could look at it this way. Now, a shrewd, <laughs> shrewd WCW, somebody in the back might go, now, he might go up to and say, now, Paul, you've been a bit of an arsehole tonight. But I like what I saw. Now what we're going to do is we're actually off the back. We're going to we're going to spin this off. We're going to turn this into a positive because I really like the offense you were giving. And I'm surprised. I would be very surprised. I mean, if he got fired straight away after that, you would have thought somebody would at least have a sit down with him, saying, "Look, what are your real grievances? Is there anything we can do about it?" Because surely somebody in the back would have seen what Paul Romer actually did away from the no selling. If you look at it objectively, and you know. He really yeah, but hang on, hang on, really hang on, you, you can't, regardless of whether Roma has a point or not, as I kind of put in the news script, the one thing you don't do, above most other things, you don't go out there on pay-per-view and sandbag an opponent. You can be as pissed off as you like, you can hate the bookie as much as you like, but you're being paid to do a job in more ways than one. Um, and it's your job to go out there and do that. And you can't reward a guy for going into business for himself from breaking away from the script and for upsetting your booking plans because and more the point if he does it now what's to stop him doing it in the future if you let him get i'm not saying they're gonna fire him but if you let him get away with it what does that say in in in, to, to the rest of the roster and more importantly what does it say in in six months time where you put him in a higher position in a more important match he does it again because if you reward him the first time, isn't he just going to think, well, hang on, six months down the line, well, I don't like this guy either. I'm going to do what I did six months ago and show off my personality in a way that I can't otherwise. Jeff, are they not just going to – would that not be a mistake? Well, you know, I, I normally I'd say yes, but go back and watch WrestleMania 10 and watch how much time Sean and Razor eat up. I think one match gets cut at, uh, entirely. I think there's a 10-man that gets cut. 
and another match. And, I mean, they basically went out there, were little brats, and put on a show. And it was great. And they got themselves over. Um, this wasn't great. I mean, uh, no, no, I, no, it wasn't. I know but, what you mean, but th- this, like, that uh, overrunning on a match to make it better is, is, is a few levels above what this was. I, Even I think though Roma were, probably did make this match better, I, I, I don't dispute that. I think both won professional is what I'm kind of getting at. And of this, I think it's better to ask forgiveness than to ask permission. And realistically, I don't think Rama really cared if he's there the next day because, you know, he's got Japan, he's got Indies. I mean, it's unprofessional. The match, yes, the match was, I'm not going to remember the, you know, it's not Flair Steamboat, you know, but looking to Savage's elbow drop versus his, the 1A plus in that is is Paul Rama's elbow drop. Oh, Christ, Savage would have have been in awe of that. And I I dare say he might have been quite pissed off. Um, Yeah, exactly. Same thing. If I'm Randy Savage and a guy's going out there in the opener and doing a far better version of my finisher than I do, I'm not very happy either. So there's, you know, Paul Romer upset more than a few people in this match, let's say that. But anyway, as I said, the the match ended with the kick out, and God knows we can't do 20 minutes on every match on the show, but this was certainly more noteworthy than probably the rest of them. Um, But yeah, this, you know, the match ended with Romer kicking out two and a half. Heenan says, big Heenan, can we see a replay of it? And Shivoni, either with someone in his ear or just using common sense, says, nope. And we cut straight backstage to Mean Gene Oakland interviewing Harlem Heat and Sensuous Sherry. Mean Gene mistakes the Ray for Booker T. Booker T then says they have a new move cooked up. We want to match number two. It's Bunkhouse Buck with Colonel Rock Parker and Meng versus Hackshaw Jim Duggan. Duggan starts attacking Buck while holding the USA flag. He then starts a USA chant. Duggan sends Buck over the top rope. For those keeping score, that is not a DQ. And I would add, I put that note in before... I would add, I put that note into this match report before knowing what was coming up in match number four. I would add, that was very much spontaneous. Duggan hits an atomic drop, then a right hand, but Buck gets his foot on the ropes during the cover. Buck then grabs the rope while in the corner and hits Duggan with it. He then sends him to the outside. Duggan hits a back body drop into the ring. This is a slow brawl. Duggan is slowly firing back up, dropping an elbow. Even Duggan's USA shtick seems tired in front of this crowd. Duggan picks up Buck for a body slam, spins him around a few times before dropping him. He then drops a knee but only gets a two count. Duggan goes for a ten punch. And then a while later, Parker climbs onto the apron, but Buck whips Duggan into him. Duggan recovers, spins round, hits his three-point stance running clothesline, and picks up the victory. Immediately following the match, Meng runs in, hits a lovely super kick on Duggan before locking in his shoulder nerve hold. Meng eventually relents as WCW referees and officials come out and break things up. Jeff, what do you think? I'm a huge Jim Duggan fan. Um, Mid-South, UWF, Jim Duggan, you know, he was an NFL caliber athlete at one point. That was probably 10 years past this. Um, you know, I, for me, I, I didn't say it was, I didn't think it was a horrible match. Uh, Duggan wasn't working and selling on some of those times when he was getting up slowly. He's just, he's getting up slowly and sometimes it looked like they were working in cement. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, I'll always have an affinity for Duggan, but that, that three point stance finish, I mean, when he was doing that kind of body spear in mid-south in about 84, 85, it looked a heck of a lot more impressive and I just, the best, the highlight was Meng, man. Meng just looks awesome. Yeah, the Meng, Meng always looks awesome, and I, I'm, I'm surprised they haven't done more with him. Jeff, what, uh, Kieran, rather, what do you think? Um, uh, Bob, you, I mean, you've been very kind in there and calling it a slow brawl. That's, that makes it almost sound, uh, 
make sort of sound like something, yeah. but it was, <laughs> I just, I've just got one note. It was the eternal headlock merry-go-round. It was just, I just, my God. And like Jeff said, with that, that three point stance used to be so impactful. And of course, a lot of people are down the years have sort of riffed on that sort of finishing move. But it just looks old and tired, and it really, as you said, Bob, it really hasn't taken long for the crowd to sort of get bored with the USA shtick, which I wasn't expecting. I was still, even though I've said before in previous Duggar matches that I don't really like his matches, they're slow and boring, at least the, he was over with the crowd, but even here it looked sort of like the crowd weren't even really with him at all, even for, like you said, the USA stuff. Yeah, and for context, this wasn't really necessarily a quiet crowd. This was a crowd that was just quiet. It wasn't, you know, stuff later on this show stuck. This didn't, and that's that's not a good sign. But this this was really bad. Not the worst match on the show. We've got that to come. Um, but in terms of it was just so slow. I mean, I don't know whether this is a kind of match that might have worked maybe 10, 15 years ago. I, I certainly think it would have had more of a chance. Um, but... It just never got going. It was like watching a match in slow motion for so long, and then the, and plus it was a match that didn't have a lot of build. There wasn't really anything riding on it. Um, you know, Duggan without the US title is even less relevant than he was with it. Um, and Bunkhouse Buck is a guy who I find highly entertaining, but I, I think kind of in short bursts, and when we see him in kind of tag matches, he he, he can be a bit more of a of a riot than he was here, but. Yeah, this is this is a pairing I'm I'm particularly keen on seeing more of. But but Jeff, as we say, that the stuff with men continues to be great. I, I got to put this over, and I just this is I made a special note. I said, you know, of all the guys WWF has ever packaged, all right, it appears in this instance that WCW has actually packaged a talent better than WWE did with men, with this odd job type enforcer bodyguard for Colonel Parker. And it's actually interesting to note that the actual original odd job, odd job in the James Bond Goldfinger uh, was played by Harold Sakata, who was a pro wrestler himself in the 1950s. So the more you know. <laughs> yeah. Interesting, so, I, I Bob. Think... But I mean. It... Jeff, like, I kind of said this about four or five months ago. Like, they waited too long with Meng? Cause, like, the, 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 the bit back at the clash back in August where he put the, he, you know, Dustin, uh, Dusty Rhodes hits him over the head with a, a wooden chair. Meng just stands there, no sells the whole thing and knocks in a nerve hole. I was there watching that and thought, great, three months. And I even concocted a plan a show or two later, which involved Meng main eventing Starcade with Hulk Hogan, which while outlandish would have been better than what they did with uh, with Butcher. Um but Meng Meng isn't gonna get any better in the role he's in. He's already great. I, I, I wanna see the next Jeff, I wanna see the next evolution in this character. You know, I think I think the next step would be Big Van Vader. Well uh, they're both heels. Well, for the moment, I, I, I'll, I'll, well, when we get to the main event, I'll give you my little, uh, prediction. But, oh, I think, I think that it, the, the penultimate, again, I'm a Bill Watts Mid-South guy. I think, you know, one of the biggest matches you can get for Ming is, is another house. And I think that Vader, look, his moves are getting over. He's doing the moonsault and the powerbomb, the promo at the beginning and, and, you know, the Saturday nights up. The fans can dig him. And who could really beat Vader in a street fight? And Ming is one of those guys that might take him in a street fight. And that might be something, once you get away from Hogan, you might want to do. Is look at Vader as, you know, maybe your number two, number three baby face away from a title. Uh, uh, yeah, there's some food for thought there. Kieran, what do you think about the, the Meng stuff? Yeah, I mean, Meng, I, I do think, I definitely think they waited too long to do anything 
with him. But I really do like the fact that he just stands there and he's like, he's like that guy in the pub that you see that he's the one you don't mess with. You look over at a guy in the pub and you go, you see him there. You don't want him to go off or spill his point. Cause if you spill Meng's point, he's going to absolutely destroy you. And he just looks like he's just like a coiled spring that's waiting to snap. I absolutely love that about him. I almost don't want to sit, almost don't want to see him wrestle like a real long match. I want him to do like little short burts, loads of little squash matches and then build to something else. Oh yeah, I mean, okay. if there's one thing we can say, doing nothing or very little with him was far better than doing the wrong thing with him. And, and I, I don't think it's too late. In the sense, as I say, you know, you may know you could call it a slow build, but equally, now that I think the time's right to, to start doing something more with him, I, I'd be reluctant to put him with Vader so soon, just because that struck me as a match that Meng would end up losing. Um, but he's a good, well, I suppose I, I did advocate putting with him Hogan, but that, that would have at least been a Starcade main event. But yeah, I, I think he's, he's a guy who they've, that they've certainly done very well with. Meiji Oakland is backstage with the Nasty Boys. Nob says that if Sherry gets involved, she will get a smack in the face. And we move on next to Dave Sullivan versus Kevin Sullivan with the Butcher. Kevin goes after Dave as he steps into the ring, but Dave sees it coming and gets the upper hand hitting dueling body slams. Dave goes for a ten punch, then a back body drop. Dave goes to bounce off the ropes, but Butcher pulls his leg back with the referee's back turned, and Kevin gains the advantage. After a dull couple of minutes, Kevin wakes up the crowd with a lovely open right hand in the corner. Dave picks up Kevin by his neck and drops him on his back. Kevin rallies with some right hands and a headbutt. Kevin misses a boot into the ropes and Dave rallies. Butcher climbs onto the apron, distracting Dave. Dave goes to, Dave goes over to him. Kevin butts Dave's head off Butcher's, rolls him up, grabs the trunks and gets the three count. Story being that Kevin sacrificed Butcher to win the match. But Kieran, nobody cared. No, they don't care. The crowd don't care, and I couldn't give a flying hook. What? I've seen bad, I mean, I've seen bad matches. I've seen boring matches. But to me, there's nothing worse than a bad, boring match. And this was just, and correct me if I'm wrong, but at one point, does Dave bite Kev's belly? Because that's the only note I've got. Did Dave bite Kev's belly? There you go. Absolutely terrible. Waste of time. Couldn't believe what I was watching. Jeff, you got an answer to that question? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if I'm paying to order a pay-per-view and I see Kevin Sullivan at four foot whatever, you know, uh, you know, clearly 10 years past his prime. I mean, his, his sanitized Satan, Satanist gimmick that, you know, comes off as so played out. I mean, I don't want to see that. I mean, it worked in Florida in like 1981 with Dusty, but that was, you know, that, that 1981. burned out. Yeah. And that burned out quickly and they got to bleed and Turner wouldn't allow that now. So all you have is a PG Kevin Sullivan who's like, ah, it's, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Friends in high places, man. Ugh. That, <laughs> <I think> <laughs> I think Dave Meltzer gave this match minus two stars. I think he was being generous. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, it's just, I mean, you should say like that there are probably worse matches, but like at least like worse matches give you stuff to discuss. Worse matches have botches. They have mistimed stuff. They have terrible finishes. This had like, well, this had that, but, but, but they're just like, I mean, I've seen this match so many times. 
and it wasn't really very good the first time they did it about four or five months ago and they've gone through various itinerations of it and it just comes down to the fact that one dave sullivan and i've said this a number of times is not a very good baby face He's not very good at doing any babyface actions, even with the Hogan Light character that they dropped last month. Even that he wasn't very good at. And that really is a gimme for kind of not cheap heat, but kind of cheap pops. Um, and he wasn't very good at that. Um, they're both bad wrestlers. This was a bad match. Um, yeah, uh, the match ended. Gone. There was one good part for it. One good part. Bobby was it the end? his belly. Well, I, I think if Bobby, eating, Bobby eating, selling the butcher's facial injuries and, and really getting across to the viewer, look, this guy has a lot of steel plates and stuff in his head. Uh, I think going forward, I mean, butcher's got a, a, a very powerful buddy. He's got some cool uh, spray painted trunks on. Um, he, he looked a little smaller than usual, but I just thought, I thought he at least said something it wasn't i mean the best part of the match was the guy outside you know had a parasailing incident and that's that sounds horrible but uh you know it was it was nice nuanced stuff from heenan who a lot of times sounds like he's phoning it in and and i liked this this work out of him yeah i didn't like anything else oh <laughs> let's, let's move on we, 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 we did 15 minutes on the first batch I, I don't want to bore people into submission uh, anyway Major Oakland recalls uh, oh here we go Major Oakland recalls Butcher having had facial surgery a few years ago which he says may come into play he's backstage at Avalanche from Big Bubba Bubba says he and Avalanche are quote unquote overgrown men anyway we move on to the WCW tag team title match it's the Nasty Boys versus Harlem Heat with Sister Sherry all four men start in the ring and square off against each other Nobs leads the crowd in some comparatively loud, nasty chants. Nobs and Butcher start off, uh, Booker even. Booker ends up hung up on the ropes, and Nobs and Sag bounce off him up and down, which livens up the crowd. Booker falls to the outside, and Sag lays him out, much to the delight of the crowd, who've livened up significantly. Sag tags in and headbutts Booker in the crotch. Ray has tagged in and gets some momentum on Sags, but he's only brief, and the nasties regain control. Sag then starts working on Ray's left leg. Booker T tags in but walks straight up into a hit toss. Sags then works him over on the outside before retur- returning him in. Booker T drop kicks Sags over the top to the outside and then Sherry drives his head off the guardrail. Sags briefly regains control but then gets dropped on the outside again before Booker hits a super kick. With the referee distraction, Booker holds Sags and Sherry slugs in with the right hand. Ray locks Sags in a, Sags in a long sleeper hold. At one stage it looks like he's fading but Sags rallies to his feet only to end up trapped in the heat corner. Booker T hits a jumping scissor kick for a two count. Booker goes up, uh, goes to drop a knee from the second rope, but Sags rolls out of the way and drops Booker. Nobs gets a hot tag and works over both members of the Heat, including a double DDT, which gets a big, big crowd reaction. He splashes Ray, but Booker breaks it up. Sherry climbs to the drop and drops off the turnbuckle with her shoe. Um, she nails Booker as Nobs ducks, and Nobs rolls him up to win the tag titles, and the crowd pop big. But there's more. Second referee comes out and disqualifies the nasties for Sag sending Ray over the top rope moments before. Kieran, what do you think? Oh. I, I really wish they, they'd turn the heat face sooner rather than, than later. I really do. I really like some of the offense, especially what Booker's doing. There was some nice stuff this time by Stevie Ray that I took note of. But again, it, you can have, you can have a good and you can have an, you can have an okay match with but again, if you're going to do finishes like this, it's just going to take me out of it completely. And as you said, Bob, they popped big 
They popped big for that. And an hour and a half into the show, about two and a half hours into the entire thing, if you include main event, the crowd finally had something they cared about. Took that long. And you gave them the tag titles and they popped. They went with that moment because it was, and you know, you, you know, it's a tag title change. It's more than your average victory. You know, they, they didn't, they weren't just popping for the first clean victory on the show. There was more to it than that, but they finally had something to get behind. And then you rip it away for a, uh, for an over the top rope DQ. Ugh. Just, it's just like, like I said, it just takes you out of it completely because I, I, I did. I gen, I, I thought when, when the DDT went in and I thought they were going to win, I thought, do you know what? That was a really good match. And that they, and they actually giving them the belts is the right thing to do after a couple of, after a couple of title matches and two and throwing with the two teams. And then to just switch it at the end. And then I was just like, I just can't believe that they've done that. I really can't. Jeff. So it, it was okay, but you know, I, here, here was my thought process for the match. Up until the finish, most entertaining match of the card, I thought, uh, up to this point. All guys brawled really well. I really enjoyed myself. I thought the Sherry Martell top rope spot for the finish was really well executed. And then you get the DQ. And I'm like, of course. And that's just, that's all I, that's the only note I took. Of course, WCW, of course. Because I... it hurts a lot more when they take away from a really good match. Like I can, I can happily have Kevin Sullivan and Dave Sullivan stink up the joint and then Kevin uh, bounces Dave off Butcher's head, rolls him up, grabs the trunks, nefarious finish. But this match was a very, very good match. Like, I mean, even with the finish, it was a very good match because I think to, to say otherwise was to take away from all four involved. Um, but you're right, just like, it was the hope. That was what kills you. The hope is the thing that kills you. And we had hope in this match. We had a spot. We had the finish. The crowd popped and, uh, I don't know. Right, Jeff, what do you think about Booker T? I, I like Booker T. I think he's a, a very fine young wrestler. I, uh, I like Harlem Heat. I mean, at this point, I think they got to work with more guys than the nasties. I mean, this is where you got to have a deeper roster of tag teams to work with. I think, I think there's a long way to go for these guys. Uh, I haven't watched them like back in, in global uh, GWF. I mean, they've improved. Uh, Sherry Martell really helps them. I think, I think she gives them that kind of sizzle on the microphone. Um, and when you said all four guys, I, I include Sherry. I think she did a really good job in this match. I mean, not many, not many valets would fly off the top rope like she does. And I mean, uh, altogether, I, I think Harlem Heater guys, I want to watch again. The Nasty Boys, I want to watch again. And I want to watch them wrestle each other again. I, I, I enjoyed it. I just, I wish to heck they could just, uh, you know, maybe, like, I didn't see the finish being over the top rope. So when I was, when I popped for it, I was like, oh, great. And then if I feel depleted, ah, uh, you know, it's just. You're watching that, at home and, and you're not in Baltimore and you're not. They're live and uh, I want. Hey, Kira, I I wouldn't turn the nasty boys' face yet. I know you like them, and I guess you probably want to cheer them, but I, I I'd say it's too soon. Um, yeah. just because they well they haven't really fleshed out as heel characters yet. Um, Jeff, in terms of their roster of opponents, there are talks. There are talks of the Steiners coming in. There are talks of the Row Warriors coming in, which would be two very very high profile opponents now neither of them are there yet although apparently the Steiners were on some TV taping sheets and then got pulled because they ended up working in Japan but that seems like sooner rather than later Kieran anything, anything more to add? 
Yeah, I mean, in terms of Tony, I can, I can, I can see your point. I, thinking about it, I mean, is this the sort of finish they're going to come up with? I mean, why couldn't they have done like a double turn where you turn the nasties heel and the heat face? Maybe not this match, but maybe if they have another one. Is do just is just do a double turn and really just like just amp it up a bit. Stop with these stupid finishes. I'm agreeing with the finishes part. I I I, I think also we we turned the nasties about seven or eight months ago. I, I I'd be reluctant oh. to turn them back as well. So no, I I no, I, I don't disagree. I think the Heat w- will end up being a very good face tag team, but I I think they're at least a year away before we should really start looking at that. Uh, anyway, we move on, and Mean Gene proves he has no shame whatsoever by calling Super Bowl Five quote unquote one of the greatest four or five pay per views I've been involved with. <laughs> That's the bar. <laughs> Sting and Savage walk in. Savage immediately says he's not talking. He paces around. So he continues to pace around and Sting cuts a promo that even by his standards isn't very good. We move on to the blacktop bully with Connor Rock Parker and Meng versus Dustin Rhodes. Bully comes out with an air horn. Nick Bockwinkle ejects Meng from ringside after his actions earlier. Dustin gets in Bully's face when the match even starts. Bully swings it in but Rhodes sees it coming and slugs him on the floor. Dustin hits a 10-punch, but Bully gets up and shoulder charges the back of Dustin's knee. Dustin whips Bully into the corner, who hangs across the turnbuckle. Dustin drops into the outside, but there's no DQ. Dustin locks in an arm lock. Meanwhile, Heenan claims that he heard Dustin is adopted. Blacktop Bully goes for a leapfrog, but they both stop in their tracks. The fans are chanting KFC, I think. Not particularly sure why. Jeff, any, I, any, go on. KFC, that's what I heard, for the colonel. Ah. ah. <laughs> yeah, it still doesn't make much sense. But anyway, uh, Bully whips Dustin into the corner, who bats off into a lovely back elbow. Bully goes again, but this time Dustin slugs in with a right and then hits a suplex. Bully grabs the ropes while attempting to avoid a sunset flip. The referee kicks his leg off it. They drop to the outside, and Dustin rams Bully's head off the steps. They get back in the ring, and Dust- Bully flips Dustin over with a clothesline. Bully hits a back suplex, but Rhodes kicks out. Dustin goes for a crossbody, but Bully ducks and Rose rolls onto the bottom rope and down to the steps onto the floor. Back in the ring, Dustin misses a, uh, misses a knee drop and Bully hits a suplex. Dustin rallies, hits a back body drop, then just starts pummeling him with lefts and rights. The crowd are still flat, as they have been for most of the match. Dustin hits the bulldog, uh, but Parker pulls Bully's legs onto the rope. Dustin goes after Parker, pulling him onto the apron. Suplexes Parker across the ring. Bully then goes for a clothesline, but Dustin ducks. Dustin goes for an apron suplex on Bully, but as he's doing it, Parker grabs his leg. Bully shifts into a crossbody, and Parker holds on to Rose's leg, and he can't kick out. Jeff, what do you think? I think Dustin Rhodes deserves a higher spot and deserves better than this match. Um, I'm a big fan of his, and I've, I've, I've loved his improvement since he came to WCW. Um you know, the, my my end game in this is, you know, the bully, formerly known as, you know, Smash or Crusher Khrushchev, whatever you want to call him. He's another one of these guys who's a little slower. It's, you know, the the brawling was, you know, it was what it was. I think Dustin can really, I think he's destined to, look, he's not his dad, okay? But I think there's money in Dustin Rhodes as a heel, Okay. And he's techni- he's not gonna pass, he's not gonna surpass Sting, he's not gonna surpass Hogan as a babyface. He's young, he's big, he has glimpses of charisma, like when he does the, the flip flop and fly elbow, he's got it. I think there's money in maybe, you know, having Ric Flair or Terry Funk turn Dustin against Dusty and the other babyfaces and let a young Dustin really have a nice fresh 
fresh uh, feel to him. I think I think he's look he he's a good working opponent for somebody even like Hogan. I mean he's a good size. He could work Sting. I just I see him working the same feud if it's whoever it is. It's just this this you know. I think if he doesn't get over this hump now, we're just always going to see Dustin as just this the other guy. You know, I think I think he's starting to get to that Barry Windham level of he's really good. Peter. Yeah, I mean, I'll just say amen to what Jeff said. I I really like Dustin Rose. I like everything he does. I, one, one word I always choose for Dustin, which I never thought of, is intensity. He can be really intense in the ring. And Jeff makes a really good point. I've never thought about him being a heel, but I can kind of see it. I can, he's He's got a really good look that people can get into, especially like a male demographic can get into. He's got a really good style in the ring. His work rate's impressive. And again, this finish for somebody who's just had like the, he's just had a title run, you know, with a belt to give him this sort of finish just seems like a step down, almost like they're trying to hold him down with this kind of finish. Unless later on he goes up into the upper echelon of the card and maybe not reaches the main event, you know, like the top tier of the card. But he's so much better than this, Bob. So much better. Yeah, it's a shame because I, I, I like what they've done with, with Bully, and we we come back to the, the the second we reviewed in December. I like the fact that they they brought a guy in and gave him you know, a backstory that was quite believable, um, and that made sense and and that fitted into this kind of you know almost year long running storyline now between Dustin and, and Colonel Robert Parker. Um, that made sense, but I think it says a lot if you can't get a good match out of Dustin Rhodes. Uh, this kind of length, I think that's Jeff. Is that telling? I think that I mean, when you have Arn Anderson and Johnny B. Bad on the the prelim, for lack of a better word, and you know you dedicate 16 minutes to to a guy who's you know a, a, he's a preliminary guy versus Dustin Rhodes. I mean, at what point is it just kind of? A, I said it's a kind of a waste of Dustin's talent. I I keep thinking back to like. That heel Barry Windham of the early 90s, like the Widowmaker that had a brief glimpse run in WWF, that could be Dustin. There's something there. And I, I just, I would, I think there's money, face, heel, whatever, working Ric Flair, given who, who his dad is, given the history with Flair. I just, I mean, the blacktop bully, I mean, it wasn't a bad match, but I, I don't remember much about it outside of the fact that I, I enjoy Dustin's spots. So go figure. Well, yeah, no, the, the the match was disappointing. The finish was disappointing. But next month, these two are going to fight on the back of well, what what we'd call a lorry, what what you guys the other side of the Atlantic would call a truck, um, which sounds interesting. Um, should should certainly be different, that's for certain. Um, but yeah, it, it was a, it was a disappointing match, if I'm honest, because I, I look at the the first three matches on the car and I didn't expect a lot, but I probably expected more from this one. Um, it didn't really deliver, and I think it says a lot that the crowd, again, that were, and maybe they were flat after the finish, although I, I doubt it to a point, but nothing stuck here. This was like watching the crowd from the first three matches. Um, anyway, Meme Gene is backstage with Vader. He is reluctant to interview him. Vader storms in and starts throwing stuff around. Oakland asks about the limo. Vader asks if it matters. Back in the arena, it sounds like Flans are chanting, quote unquote, we want flair. Meme Gene is now on the artwork and he introduces flair. Flair gets a big pop. Flair says he came to Baltimore for the party. Says he's here because WCW is quote unquote, what's happening? He then does a savage impression, mentions Hogan, who gets some booze, and then takes his seat in the front row. 
Move on. Big Bubba and Avalanche versus Sting and Randy Savage. The match starts with a lot of posturing from the, to the crowd. Sting and Avalanche gets underway. Avalanche gets Sting in the corner, but Sting gets out and tries to knock Avalanche off his feet. He bounces off the far set of ropes, but Bubba grabs him around the neck to cut him off. Savage returns the favour a short while later by crotching Bubba on the top rope. Sting jumps up and hits a big superplex. Sting knocks Bubba to the outside and Savage drops an axe handle from the top rope. The crowd are very into this. Savage tags in and drives Bubba off the turnbuckle and nearly gets the three with the roll-up. Bubba ends up in his corner and Savage slaps Avalanche, which gets the crowd going. Savage flaps him again and Avalanche is angry. He goes, uh, Savage goes for a body slam but buckles under the weight and Avalanche gains the upper hand. Sting works on taking Avalanche off his feet. He goes for the Scorpion Deathlock. Savage goes to take Bubba but Bubba manages to catch him. Sting then does a splash onto Bubba and Avalanche in opposite corners but Avalanche catches him the third time and slams him down. Meanwhile, Flair is taunting Savage at ringside. Savage gets in his face. Sting body slams Avalanche but Bubba then hits Sting with a right, and Sting inadvertently headbutts Avalanche in the groin. He's very good at that. Savage then gets the hot tag and unloads on both of them. All four men end up in the ring. Savage body slams Bubba, then goes for an elbow drop. Savage goes for the cover, but Bubba isn't the legal man. Sting goes for a clothesline from the top rope and rolls through on Avalanche for the three count, and the crowd pop big. Kieran, what do you think? Yeah, I, I really like this match. I think a lot of a lot of what this pay per view is says to me is is when the crowd when the crowd got involved I was definitely more invested in it and I really really did like this match love seeing Flair and Sting together especially Savage he's always been one of my favourites um, again I wasn't the, the, the finish was a bit muddled because sort of Sting nearly sort of fell off that top turnbuckle but overall I really really enjoyed this match and mainly it was because I actually enjoyed that the crowd were enjoying it Whereas before, they obviously hadn't been, as we've mentioned like a few times. Jeff? Uh, you know, it was a fun match. I think, you know, Sting had that effort and the energy, and Macho Man's going to bring that intensity, and, and Boss Man is a competent big man who's still got some spring in his step. So, I mean, you know, he's not Van Bam or Vader levels of big man, but he's, you know, he he, he puts in the effort. Uh, my favorite part of the match, I mean, I, I, I thought the superplex spot was really cool, uh, especially because, you know, Big Bubba's a, a big man. Uh, and I also like the, the slight interaction between Flair and, uh, Macho Man, cause they just have tremendous chem- chemistry. They just, that's like, I would buy a ticket to see those two tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, a uh, three for three on the, on the, on the Flair and Savage stuff. They, that wasn't particularly long or elaborated upon, but it, it was entertaining the bit we saw, and I think that's certainly foreshadowing something down the line. Um, but yeah, this, this is, this is one of those where this was like a, if you put, but the crowd from the first three matches in front of this match, this probably isn't a very good tag match. But because, Kieran, as you say, because the crowd were really into it, um, mm. it, it made the match a lot more enjoyable. And, you know, finally some star power, really. I mean, we talk about match number four. There was not really star power in that. It was just two two teams that are both over to a degree in front of a crowd that was waiting for something to cheer for. They had some star power in this with Sting and Randy Savage. who both got notably bigger pops than anybody else on the show up until this point. Well... Flair, otherwise, um, and Jeff, I, 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 having having watched Big Bubba as the guardian angel for the past ten months as a babyface in a in ringwear that didn't fit him and didn't suit him in a babyface role that I don't think works for him, it's great to see him back as a heel. I, you know, he's he's a type of guy, and I, I think you put Ming and Duggan in the same category. Where I think we all know they're tough. I think we all know they're kind of you know. 
If, if it's a dark alley, you don't want to go down with them. And, uh, you know. If, if you pull Roma, you don't go into business with yourself in a match with any of those three. <laughs> well, you could. You could. You could but, try. Uh, you could try. <laughs> they might, you know, bite your nose off. You know? So, God, sorry, I cut you off then. Oh, well, here, here's a thought. And this is something that I, I just, I saw in the match because of that brief interaction between Flair and Savage, but they have one thing in common. Neither of them has ever been able to take down Hulk Hogan. And let's just leave it at that for now. I was going to say, you, fa- you fancy booked about 80% of this roster since we started this review. I think, I think, I think your version of WCW Uncensored involved telling about 9 or 10 people at this right. I think, but... I think my, my number one note on this pay-per-view is they need to shuffle the deck. How many well, times, you know, like... I, I, I put, I put that on my note sheet, but I probably wouldn't put it number one. Kieran, go on. Can we watch Jeff's pay-per-view next time? Um, yeah, we'll, we'll certainly try. We'll, we'll, we'll see if WCW we can uh, we can influence some decisions. All we've got to do, as, as we'll find out later, is just if we can get Jeff to write a really piercing article in the New York Daily Post, we might have a chance with that. Um, that's a joke that will will make more sense later on. Um, but no, this match was was a lot of fun, and and I you know I don't really like Avalanche, um, but. In this kind of spot, I don't mind him because he's so big and because Sting is, you know, we, we've done Sting and Avalanche to death in the last three months, that, that match. I've seen it so many times. But Sting knows what he's doing in that kind of match. Savage, I mean, don't, let's not forget Savage, we've been talking about him for a better part of three months, but Savage has, this is his first WCW pay-per-view appearance and that felt like a big deal. We had, uh, Ray Trailer as, as Big Bubba in this case, not, not the boss and, and, and not the Guardian Angel. That felt fresh. It was Star power and and dare I say it dragged Avalanche up like Avalanche I wouldn't say he felt like he belonged but he didn't feel out of place in this match whereas I think amongst the three faces of fear he he would have been part of the problem I don't think this was necessarily an issue but really entertaining match um well so I'm saying I don't want to overplay it but but the crowd were very into it uh, uh, and and a satisfying finish Uh, and note the only clean finish of the show so far uh and we are about two hours and 20 minutes in. And ladies and gentlemen, what you have seen the past six or eight months here at World Championship Wrestling has all led us here to this great city of Baltimore and to this very moment because not more than two or three minutes from now, Hulk Hogan, you along with Jimmy Hart in your corner will be going to the ring here in front of this capacity crowd at Super Brawl 5 to defend the world heavyweight title. You know the frame of mind that Vader is in. This man is a loose cannon. He is ballistic tonight. Well, you know something mean, Gene. To say that the city of Baltimore, brother, was not electric would be an understatement, brother. Vader time has been running rampant. He's been bullying his way around here for the last couple days, brother. We know the power of Vader. We know all about the demon he's warned us all about, brother. But the thing is, brother, this is the final test for Hulk Hogan, brother. This is the test that separates the good men from the bad men, brother. The immortality of Hulkamania. And he will have to bury me, brother, six feet under in Baltimore, brother, to steal the trust, the love, and the devotion in the future all those Hulkamaniacs for me, Mean Gene. The way he is psyched up, Jimmy Hart, you voiced your concern. And Hulk, even now at the at the, at the very last moment here, I've got to voice my concern. I am concerned about you tonight, my friend. Well, you know, it goes all the way back to the home front, brother. Even my family says Hulk Hogan. You can walk away, brother. You don't have to prove a thing. The man's going to hurt you, brother. 
Well, I know all about Vader, brothers. I know all about what he's made of. And to say the Pythons aren't ready would be an understatement. To say Hulk Hogan isn't psyched and ready would be an understatement. So Vader time. This is where the power lies, brother. We're going to test you tonight. We're going to drag you around. We're going to see what he's made of, Jimmy Hart. And by hook or by crook, we're going to corner the dude, brother. Whether I got to play possum, whether I got to face him straight up, brother, we're going to find out what he's made of. But Jimmy Hart, the dirtiest player in the game is sitting out there, brother. And he's an innocent bystander. And wouldn't it be a shame, Jimmy Hart? If he was to happen to get in my way right when I had Vader in the launch position, brother. Keep an eye on him, Jimmy Hart. Don't worry, Huckster. I've got an old Ric Flair. We know we are ready to face the demon, baby. It's not Vader time. It's Huckster time, daddy. And the way I feel right now, me and Gene, all the other world titles, brother, all the last years in professional wrestling have came down to this one moment, brother. This is the most important day in my life brother and the man that walks out of there alive the man that walks out of there as the wcw champion brother will shape the future of the 90s will lead the brigade and from this day on it was said it will be marked in stone it's not vader time brother it's hulk time and what you're gonna do when the largest arms in the world run wild on you you're mine vader Anyway, Hulk Hogan calls this the quote-unquote final test for Hulkamania. He says that Vader will have to bury him six feet under to win the title. Hogan calls Flair an innocent bystander and says it will be a quote-unquote shame if he happened to get in Hogan's way. Hogan says that of all the other world titles that come down to today, and this is the most important day of his life. Hulk Hogan with Jimmy Hart versus Vader for the WCW World Heavyweight title. In my notes, I have put, this has a big match feel. Hogan starts by hitting Vader with a series of rights. Vader is unaffected and takes off his mask. The great Muda is at ringside. The pair lock up and Hogan slacks Vader. He drives him into the corner, but Vader just no-sells it. Hogan looks stunned. Hogan then rolls Vader through into an armbar. Heenan sees this as a sign that Hogan doesn't know what to do. He's having to resort to some wrestling. Vader gets Hogan into the corner and starts hammering away at him. On the outside, Hogan throws Vader over the guardrail right next to Flair. Vader removes the guardrail. Heater notes that the crowd are on their feet. Hogan sends Vader over the top rope. No DQ. Hogan gets Vader back in the ring and drives his foot into Vader's neck in the corner. Vader gains the upper hand and soon Hogan is blindly swinging in Vader's direction. Hogan, near a camera, said, quote, he's too strong. Vader sets for a Vader bomb. Hogan barely kicks out. He sets for a Vader salt, but Hogan moves out of the way. Hogan nails Vader with a chair. No disqualification. The fans start booing. That might be a Maybe a throwback. That's a Bret Hart Diesel from last month. Hogan hits Vader with a chair again. Back in the ring, Vader chokeslams Hogan, then suplexes him, but Hogan kicks out and sits up. He hulks up, hits a soft-looking bit boot, then wicks up the crowd. Hogan drops the leg, but Vader kicks out at one. Vader powerbombs Hogan, but as the ref was bumped, there's no ref to pin. Vader comes in, uh, Flair comes in, sorry, and does a quick count, then just starts attacking Hogan. Vader splashes Hogan with the ref back up, but Hogan kicks out. Flair goes to attack Hogan and the referee calls for a DQ. Hogan hits a big boot and nails Flair nice and snug in the jaw. Vader climbs back into the ring and aids Flair in attacking race. Flair looks in the figure four but out comes Sting and Savage to run them off. Vader and Flair high five each other on the R way and walk off to end the show. Jeff, what do you think? I really enjoyed the main event. 
I thought that was one of Hogan's best. I, you know, I always like watching Vader. Okay. When, when you see Vader, you're going to see some really cool moves. I, I believe this guy is a world champion caliber wrestler. So putting him in there with Hogan, I mean, if you go back to SummerSlam 99 against Earthquake, aka Avalanche, I don't think anybody would have bought that, that the Avalanche would win or Earthquake would win. Big Van Vader, there's this idea that, you know what? He might beat Hulk Hogan. And he comes across as a monster. Hulk does his part. Uh, Vader was booked respectably. I'm happy that Vader didn't lose clean. And, uh, I, I enjoy, I, look, I like Vader matches. I like that Hogan even had to cheat at times. Um, I would have liked to see maybe Vader go over with help from Flair and then have, even if it's just for a return match where Hogan has to get the title back, I think Vader would have looked stronger with a win here. Uh, he doesn't have to look win clean. I just think Hogan chasing the title could have been a breath of fresh air. The same as the, you know, cause they're, they're going by the same old Hogan formula. Um, but I enjoyed this. I like, I like Vader. Hogan had his wrestling boots on, as they say. Um, I just, I mean, as I was a fan of Vader, I just wanted to see Vader win. So maybe that's just the fan in me. <laughs> Kieran. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna gush again about Vader, just like Jeff has, because, I mean, the, I actually made it exactly the same note as you, Bob. As soon as you see, as soon as Vader starts, even the way Vader carries himself, the way he postures in the ring, the way, the way he holds himself, the way he, the way, even the way he uses his hands and his, you instantly feel like the match has just, you've just gone up three gears from anything else on the card, no matter how big the crowd pops. As soon as Vader starts doing all of his shtick and, you know, sort of posturing and saying to Hogan, basically, you ain't nothing and all that. Instantly, I was more invested than I had been throughout the whole show. I like the fact um, that Hogan did a bit more wrestling. I also loved the fact that he had to go and get a chair because it, in my head, it might have seemed like Hogan was, you know, seemed a bit weaker. But in my head, it just made Vader that more look that much more stronger. Um, I would have. Like Jeff said, I would have kind of liked, whether it was a title change or not, I'd have kind of liked to have seen Vader win this one and then they go on and have a rematch. Um, but overall, I really, really did like this match. And for, for me to say that and have a match have Hulk Hogan in it says a lot for what Vader brought to it. If we take away the last three minutes of the Clash of the Champions and and those who haven't heard it, you'll you'll hear my, my reservation for that if you go back and listen to the last month's show. The build for Vader in the last two months has been perfect. And we got to the beginning of of main event and we, we saw the limo clips throughout the show. I remember watching this and thinking, I've been doing this project for 18 months and I've never seen anything like this. And we get to the main event and I thought, the biggest match up to date that we've done on this show was Hogan and Flair at Bash at the Beach last year. I think in terms of a big match field, this tops it. And that was Hogan's debut nonetheless, which is testimony to one, how well they put Vader and two, how well, how good Vader is. Um, this was a really good match. And dare I say, like, like beyond either, well, either Vader winning, I suppose, or, or, or winning the title via nefarious methods, they did everything they could. I mean, Jeff, how many guys have kicked out the, the leg drop big boot combination? I can think of Warrior. I can think of uh, maybe Andre, maybe. Uh, so that's a. It's oh, a short Zeus. list. Zeus, Zeus did it. 
<laughs> oh, there we go. There we go. That as well. But it's a, it's a, it's a short list of guys and it's a list that doesn't include, it doesn't include Randy Savage. Is that right? I, I know. No, no, no. And it doesn't include Ric Flair. Well, that's, yet, I think that's your mention of this feeling bigger than Flair Hogan. I think, you know, Flair had lost to Sting. Flair had lost to, you know, Randy Savage in WWF. Uh, when was the last time we saw Vader lose? Uh, right? oh, I was, was going to say, don't ask that question. Actually, well, uh, that, okay, that would be the uh, probably the the Starcade match with Flair. Oh, he got beaten by Flair. Uh, he got he lost the 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 title match against Sting at Slambury last year. I can't remember how that finished. Um, I just but think yeah, he's so much stronger. He's just. He's just, he's a guy that, it's like when you watch Rocky 4 and the big Russian goes up against Rocky, the Russian could win, you know? And that's Vader. Vader's the guy that might beat your hero. Uh, and, and, and to kick out the, of the big boot leg drop combination at one, I thought was like massive. Though I don't know whether Vader kind of knew he was going to kick out and uh, whether, what I'm saying is I don't know whether Hogan approved that. I, I mean, he knew he was going to kick out, but I wonder whether Vader thought, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get, gonna, get, get, gonna get... Right after. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe Vader thought, I'm going to get my own back for you popping up from the powerbomb last month by kicking out of your, <laughs> your combination earlier than I was going to. Um, but they did a phenomenal job here and Vader's great. We, we, we can say that all day, but, this just had such a big fight feel that I don't think we've had at any point before doing this project. And it just in terms of the match quality was very good. I mean, yes, th- there are, there are issues. There are problems, you know, and again, if we want to sit here and nitpick, but, but dare I say, I think the match was good enough where I don't think we need to sit here and spend five minutes over the fact Hogan didn't get DQ'd for, well, the, the over the top rope or, or for the chair. Um, and as I say, I only really came up with this while I was reading through the notes that there is a small comparison between Hogan grabbing a chair to try and defeat Vader and Bret Hart grabbing a chair to, um, to try and defeat Diesel last month. Now, I think for different reasons, you know, Brett was trying to straddle the heel line and Hogan, I think, was more just trying to build Vader up because I think Hogan was very much trying to stay babyface. Um, but that was interesting. Uh, and, and, and yeah, we, we've, Kieran, we've got this pairing with, with, with Flair and Vader. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, I think it's great because you can sort of, if they've got a sort of, um, an overarching vision for it. It sort of speaks to what Jeff said earlier. If you can put Flair and Vader together, you know, they're going after Hogan together and they're trying to chase down the title. And then at some point, maybe Flair then sort of, I don't know, sees Vader getting closer to the title than he'd like him to be. Maybe he sees Vader as sort of like this bodyguard type figure. And then he does the dirty on Vader. I think like a Vader Flair or then you're getting Vader as a face. I think it's I think it's perfect, perfect at this point in time to put Flair and Vader together, no matter which way you go with it. Jeff, I 100% agree. I uh, look. I think coming out of this match, two things. One, I'm paying to order uncensored on pay per view because I want to see a rematch. You're also paying two dollars fifty more than you would have done this month. Well, that'd be my parents' money, right? Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think I think the one thing that comes out of this is, you know, Hulk Hogan isn't 28. He isn't 32. And Vader is a really cool villain. And really cool villains, whether it's Jake the Snake or Bruiser Brody or whomever, can make really cool baby faces. And down the line, 
I see, I mean, I think, I think Big Van Vader is, is, I mean, I want to buy his t-shirt, man. I think he's just really cool. And coming out of this match, this is probably, I, I was at WrestleMania 6. I saw Warrior Hogan. Um, you know, Hogan put Warrior over a thousand times percent, I guess you could say more than he did Vader here, cause, you know, Warrior won. But I, I really can't remember a time when Hogan made someone look this good. I mean, didn't or, do it with Flair. Didn't do it with Flair six months ago. Well, yeah, but I mean, uh, Vader was basically. I mean, you, there was some brutality here. I don't think Ric Flair ever really brutalized Hogan. You know. Uh, and to be fair, like Vader could probably do a lot worse. Uh, uh, of all Vader's matches, this was one of the more quote unquote soft. I would say. Yeah. Um, Jeff, I, 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 as much as I like a lot of your ideas, I, I kind of you, you've turned about. 12 people in this show it's a lot um but yeah we're going to discuss player invader a bit more after the uh after the <laughs> tv review because we've got a bit more to review there uh kieran your overall thoughts on this show and a score rating out of 10 oh it's it really is a tough one because well it is and it isn't god it's such a weird one because the 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 roma thing i found fascinating wasn't necessarily bad You've got, you know, you've got average matches, you've got truly terrible matches, and then the last two I really enjoyed. So, I'll give it a solid, I'll give it five out of ten. Yeah. Jeff? Good main event, solid co-main event, good tag title matches, nothing else to write home about. If it's at the video store, do I rent it? Probably for the last three matches, six and a half out of ten. I was lower on this show. Um... Six bad finishes out of seven is a lot. It's really a lot. Um, the, the right Roma match is intriguing. Um, but that first hour was death. That really was. And I include that in that as well. It's intriguing. Well, I, I, I didn't think it was necessarily very good. Um, and yeah, a, a decent tag match, a very good main event. But for me, I can't forgive what came before three and a half. Um, so, yeah, and that will wrap up this, and we'll now move on to the TV review. Blacktop Bully. On March the 19th at Uncensored in Tupelo, you're going to be going one-on-one with the Nashville Dustin Rhodes in a match to establish the king of the road. I understand now that this match is going to be taking place on a flatbed on your 18-wheeler, your tractor truck. My rig. Your rig. Tell me all about it. Well, I'll tell you, Dustin Rhodes, this is my match because we're going to be in my home. Dustin Rhodes, you better be ready, because uncensored means there is no rules. We're in the back of my truck. I know every inch of it. There might be steel bars coming down. There are wooden planks, and the floor is solid steel. So when you hit your head on there, I can crush it with my boot. Why well, made Colonel Parker one promise? I was going to have your hide. That's exactly what I'm going to do in Tupelo, Mississippi. Do you understand what this is all about? February 25th, WCW Saturday Night kicks off with a Hulk Hogan interview. Hogan says he's demanded a strap match with Vader. You're never going to get rid of him unless you destroy him, brother. Hogan admits that he realises that after the powerbomb, he could have been counted three at Super Bowl and could have lost the title. Hogan says he has a surprise for Flair and Vader. In an interview Alex Wright called Paul Roma a backstabber, 
he learned quickly that he cannot trust everybody. There might be more truth in that interview than people realise. Wright cuts another awkward promo in his second language, but does declare his intention to go after the world title. Blacktop Bully cuts a promo about the King of the Road match with Dustin Rose at WCW Uncensored next month. Bully says they're going to be on the back of his truck, and he knows every inch of that truck. Vader and Ric Flair come out. Vader calls him the uncrowned heavyweight champion of the world. Vader continues to talk, but Hogan comes out carrying a strap, and but officials this time split them up. Hogan invites Vader into the ring. Nick Bockwinkle rejects both Hogan and Vader. Bockwinkle says their match at Uncensored will be unsanctioned. WCW cannot be responsible for what happens. Arn Anderson retains the TV title against Brad Armstrong. Colonel Robert Parker has put up a thousand gold coins on top of Arn Anderson's TV title for anyone to beat him. In the main event, Sting and Randy Savage appeared defeated Harlem Heat to win the WCW World Tag Team titles. Sting rolled up Stevie Ray after Savage bounced him off of Sister Sherry. He then speculated that Sting pinned the wrong member. And a second referee emerged, not to overturn the decision, but seemingly to award an over-the-top rope DQ. Sherry left with the belts, but Avalanche and Big Bubba ran out to attack them. Bubba tied Sting's head to the rope using his tie and beat on him. Avalanche leg dropped Savage in the ring. On the main event, they replayed a rare Hulk Hogan TV match from WCW Worldwide, teaming with Savage to face Butcher and Avalanche. The finish was similar to the Sullivan's match at Super Bowl when Butcher collided with Sullivan on the apron and Hogan rolled him up. Butcher's post-match reaction played into the breakup storyline of the three faces of fear, with him shoving Sullivan at ringside. We have a new character in WCW called Sergeant Craig Pittman. Pittman, a real-life ex-marine, wears camo trousers and is quite muscular. You want to squash on this show with an armbar. In the main event of Main Event, Dustin Rhodes and Johnny B. Bad defeated Arn Anderson and the Blacktop Bully with Bad pinning double A by roll-up. Vader and Ric Flair, the... Please, please, easy now. Hey, I want to get your... Hey, you're going to address me as I should be addressed. For I am the new uncrowned heavyweight champion of the world. Call it like you see it. Call it like you all saw it. Super Brawl 5, brother. That's right. You saw Vader's dream, Vader's vision unfold and become reality. You saw a broken, beaten, bloody, scared. Hulk Hogan on his back. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Hogan is out here. Wait a second. Hey, Hogan. What you gonna do now? Hold on just a second. Hey, Hulk. I want you to come in right now, man. I want you to see right now. Gentlemen, we are really out of control. 
security you need to remove these two gentlemen from the building now. Well, Commissioner Uh, Kieran, let's talk about this Flair and Vader segment uh, that aired on WCW Saturday on the 25th. Uh, Vader and Flair comes out. Vader proclaims himself the uncrowned world heavyweight champion. Uh, and then Hogan runs out in uh, with a, or kind of strides out with a strap, because they've got a strap match next month at WCW Uncensored. Um, and a ton of WCW officials pull them, pull, pull them off each other, and then they both get ejected. Kieran, what do you think? I mean, I, I really, really did like this. It was, it's kind of the perfect way that you you build again with that big fight feel already in your brain already. You come to a nice quick promo like this. It starts off strong with Vader on the mic, flares there, you know, backing him up, giving it the big I am, um, and then sort of Hogan strides in. He's all pissed, angry, flailing his belt around, his strap around, and then finally that. WCW are already building this as something a bit different because they're using words like unsanctioned, the, the paper school or uncensored. So it feels again like a big match, Bob, but it's, it, fe- it already feels to me like it's going to be something totally different. And yeah, I'm in. I'm buying a ticket. Jeff. I think that Hulk Hogan escaped by the skin of his teeth in a regular match. Uh, WCW Booker's. Put Hulk Hogan versus Big Van Vader in an uncensored match. Um, and I think that's, that's, I think I've never been a fan of Hogan Flair. Hogan Vader, I think is really cool. I think this is a match that Hogan doesn't get out of. And I think people know that. I think people know that this is a closed fight for him. And you know, if you go through the annals of history, who really, who really ever could dominate Hulk Hogan? And I'm buying a ticket, man. That's good. That's good TV. And it's, it's a strap match. I don't think Big Van Vader knows how to not hit you with a strap. You know, that seems that seems like a selling point to me. All on, I don't care if it's Hulk Hogan or Randy Anderson, the referee. I want to see Vader hit someone with a strap. You know, I almost like the idea that Vader goes into this match not knowing the rules. I- I'd rather Vader go into a strap match and think it was a weapon rather than a means of ending the match. Um, I think that'd be that'd be an extra added thing as well. But one thing I really like about this Hogan Vader feud. I uh, like a lot of things about it, is that every, a lot of times with the Hogan feud, and, and we saw this a lot, particularly with the Flair thing, is that it's not really about confrontation, it's about talking, it's about verbalising things. And one thing I like, and we saw this at, uh, in December at Starcade, and we've seen this here, is that Hogan is cutting promo, sure, by the by, but when it comes to it, Hogan's not doing, Hogan isn't letting his mouth do the talking, he's letting actions do the talking. Vader at Starcade cut a very good two or three minute promo that we heard in December. 
and then kind of threw it over to Hogan, and Hogan just shoved him and started a fight. Then here, Vader comes out and cuts a promo. Hogan doesn't wait for his opportunity, just runs out carrying a strap, and says, we're going to fight. And I think that's great, because I think it kind of, it comes back to what you said, Jeff, about Vader being an opponent, that Hogan doesn't doesn't really have the words. He's, he's, he is perhaps a little bit scared and I did like the fact that Hogan came out carrying a strap number one because it illustrated the the stipulation of the match and number two because it kind of illustrated the fact that Hogan on his own might not be enough Jeff? I I completely agree I think I will say this I think that if Vader doesn't win or win by some sort of you know what I mean I I hope to heck Vader wins because I want to see this feud culminate even further down the line I don't want to see an end in sight because I don't know who else Hogan can really work with right now unless it's Flair and that kind of bores me. I just I I think I think it's so cool that Hogan for once isn't the immortal brother, you know? It's there's this guy who's bigger and he's a super heavyweight and unlike Andre he could do a goddamn flying moonsault, you know? And I think I think this is this is Hogan's best test to date at least in WCW and and probably his best matches um outside of Flair since maybe I don't know Randy Savage in 89. And Kieran Hogan cuts a promo after after Super Bowl and says that you know what yeah I should have lost that match referring to the powerbomb where he he, he didn't kick out but there was no ref to count the pin. I mean they're presenting Hogan as vulnerable Kieran and I quite like it. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a it's a real change. I think finally maybe Hogan saw <clears throat> some of, some of the decisions are being informed by how the crowd are treating Hogan, and maybe he's sort of backing off from being this overall, you know, almost like a dictator over everything that happens within his matches. Maybe he's finally realizing that he just needs to back off a little bit, and in the end, it's all it's all for the better. You don't have to steamroller over these big guys you know that usual thing where Hogan goes against the monster and he ends ends up eventually overcoming him you know with his saying your prayers and the vitamins and all that he can do things in different ways and a different Hogan is a better Hogan yeah, no, I agree. And I, I think WCW are in a, in a great spot now. We, one thing I didn't really reference at the end of Super Bowl, but in terms of the, the visual at the end with the five big names, Flair, Vader, Sting, Savage and Hogan, was really strong. And it's like, yeah, there's some pairings there. Now, I think it would be better that they get the belt onto Vader next month. And almost, dare I say, I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't get the belt onto Vader with a viewpoint of doing Hogan and Vader at Slamboree in May, nor would I do it with the viewpoint of, of Vader even ever dropping the title to Hogan. It comes back to what I said a couple of months back, which is what, what one early idea when Savage came in was, so Vader beats Hogan for the title, then Savage beats Vader, then he turns heel, then Savage beats Hogan. I think, you know, that we've got all the, and this is kind of the same thing with WCW as it's been for the last year or so. We've got all the problems with the bits down below, but the top of their roster is really strong. Now, right, they've, they, they've bought in a lot of those names rather than produce them, but there's, there's a lot of really fresh matchups. You know, you could have a heel savage against a, a face sting, which could be very interesting. Um, you've got to turn one of them though. Um, uh, and Savage is probably the prime candidate in that he he opens up a number of fresh matches. I, th- I think Flair will stay heel, um, and I suppose if they're going to do Savage and Flair, that might not work either. Um, but yeah, th- there's there's enough things on that side where I think there's there's a lot of encouragement. 
I'll have that inside story on the hotline. Give me a call at 1-900-909-9900. Call now. WCW's controversy with its hotline hit new depths this month as the company not only used the death of a wrestler as a hook to get people to call in, they attempted to imply that the death may have been Ric Flair, which it most certainly wasn't. In fact, the death of the quote-unquote 45-year-old former heavyweight champion was actually Jerry Blackwell. Using false hooks on the hotline is nothing new. As we reported last month, the company have been name-dropping a number of talents as hooks for their hotline with completely false intentions. Names like Bret Hart, Roddy Piper and others are all used as hooks by Mean Gene Oakland to get people to dial the line that costs users $1.50 a minute. And shockingly, you'll find that you need to stay on the line for sometimes four or five minutes before you've been ripped off. Crusher, Jerry Blackwell, was considered one of the top heels in the AWA in the 1980s. While he was short at five foot nine, he more than made up with it with a build weight of over 450 pounds. The world championships referred to by Oakland were likely in reference to his AWA world tag title run with Ken Patera. Blackwell passed away on January the 22nd, 1995, due to pneumonia complications after a car crash in December 1994. It will come as no surprise that WCW did record record numbers on their hotline that weekend. A usual weekend for the hotline will do the company around $5,000. That weekend reportedly grossed in the region of fifty dollars to $75,000. And people in WCW do believe there was more interest in Flair, who returned to television as a major non-wrestling character this month. The Pro Wrestling Torch reported that you would have had to stay on the hotline for five minutes to find out the extent of the story. But if WCW thought they could contain the story, they were mistaken. Phil Mushnick of the New York Post used it as an angle to attack Ted Turner directly. In an article headlined, Turner Phone Scam, Better Dead for Ted, Mushnick talked about the story and compared it with WCW employee Frank Anderson, who was convicted in Sweden for the purchase and possession of human growth hormone. To quote from the article, with any luck, Anderson will soon suffer a drug-induced renal failure and die. Then WCW, on a Saturday night, can tell kids that a former champion wrestler has died, and for only $1.50 per minute, they can find out who. Anderson, as Jerry Blackwell proved, could be worth more to Turner dead than alive. It's time for Mr. Turner to take his friendly TV wrestling business out to be cleaned and burned. The article, it is reported, did have an impact on the Super Brawl pay-per-view. It is said that Hogan vs. Vader main event at Super Brawl was going to end with a stoppage after both wrestlers bled, leading to WCW Uncensored in March, where WCW in Storyland won't be sanctioning the matches. After the Mushnick article, Turner ordered the pay-per-view be squeaky clean for kids and not be overly violent. Jeff, let's talk about this hotline story. Um, different, I would say. I'd say trashy. <laughs> trashy, poor taste. Kieran, anything to add? Any more words? As I was reading the article, I just couldn't believe what I was reading. And then to, to shill out to the, the, the one that the really, the, the nugget, the nugget was not giving the, it sounds so bad to say, but not giving the death up front. You sort of had to go through the rigmarole of calling up the hotline, getting a load of spiel on off Oakland. Oh, and then he gets round to the death because, of course, everyone thinks it's going to be Flair. So let's but, take, let's, you know, let's, let's, let, we'll call the WCW death line and then we'll wait to see who it is. Brilliant. I, I mean, I mean, we, we, we've done the hotline discussion before. I think we were doing the hotline discussion a year ago when it came to, um, 
to, to even stuff like Luger and Hart and, and, and WS said, yeah, call in and cash your vote on who you think won the Rumble, despite the fact that it didn't really matter. There are, there are shills that I would say are acceptable, but are like almost par for the course. And I think to a point it's like, yeah, you know what? It's like, if your audience are gonna, are gonna pay their money time and time again, to a point we can exploit them. I get that. But this, I mean, it, it wasn't, it wasn't just, it was, it's not just having a hook about anyone dying. It's about implying it was Ric Flair. And what a, what a low barrel to scrape. Jeff, any more on this? Here's the thing that really kicked me. Mean Gene Okerlund, I mean, you know, he, he's not, he's not cash poor, okay? I think if there's one thing you say no to, he comes from the AWA, Minnesota. Do you know where Jerry Blackwell got his world championship from? That's right, Minnesota and Vern's AWA. I think a little tack should have been exercised here. I think, I think at some point you gotta go, uh, whoever's in charge, no, I'm not doing that. It's disrespectful. It's beyond exploitative. Even for the wrestling business. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. When, mean, when you're plumbing those depths, you know, you're in, uh, you know, you're doing something special, but I mean, it, yeah, it, 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 it's just ugly. And as, as we covered in the, in the voiceover just there, it, it thankful, well, thankfully it's probably the wrong word, but at least the WCW didn't get away with this. At least we're not talking about something that didn't make it very far. The New York Daily Post, as, as we covered it, did publish that article, and it did. I mean, we, we talk about the finish to Flair and uh, to sorry to, to Vader and Hogan. Apparently, the original plans for that was a double juice. They were both going to bleed, and that was going to set up uncensored. And also, they had to change that because, well, you know, Ted wanted a squeaky clean show. Um, but yeah, just I mean, incredibly misguided. And, yeah, and apparently that when they, they did like an apology on the following week's show and apparently that took about seven or eight minutes to get to on the hotline as well. It's just crass and it's like, yeah, ma- Sorry, maybe, Bob. go on. So Bob, was the apology on the hotline? I think, I, yeah. also I haven't heard them. They're, they're not available <laughs> on the side of the pond, but yeah. I, I, I know, I think they said that they, they did do like, Oakland like reluctantly apologised the following week, and I've got a feeling they might have tucked that away into the hotline as well. That's just, maybe, uh, maybe. Oh, I'm sorry. Go, go, go on, Jeff. Oh, maybe Ted Turner and his, you know, millions and millions of dollars, maybe could have done the double juice and just, I don't know, donated some of that hotline money to Jerry Blackwell's family, paid for the funeral, maybe donated to diabetes, something like that that actually makes a difference. Instead of some mea culpa six minutes into the hotline where Oakland goes, oh, yeah, and by the way, I should have said that. I mean, A, don't say it to begin with, but if you do, make good on it. Improve upon the situation. And look, uh, it's just I think it's just gutless, tasteless, worthless. I hate it. So. I'm just, I'm just glad they got some bad press out of it because if they hadn't have done it, it they, they would have got off incredibly lucky, uh, and they got what they deserved with that press, quite frankly. We begin on February 4th with WWF Superstars. The Undertaker faced Henry Godwin and struggled, the storyline being that Undertaker wasn't the same without the urn, which was taken from him at the Royal Rumble. Despite this, Undertaker still won, but the story was of a struggle. 
Shawn Michaels hypes Diesel being on the Heartbreak Hotel, but then unveils a life-size cardboard cutout. Michaels claims that Diesel has no backbone. The Blue Brothers are now being managed by Dutch Mantel, who is playing a character called Uncle Zebekiah. On February 6th and Monday Night Raw, following on from the two-man Royal Rumble last week, we've got a six-man tag. Men on the Mission and Lex Luger taking on King Kong Bundy, IRS and Tatanka of the Million Dollar Stable. A highly forgettable match before Lex Luger dialed back the clock to 1993 and body slammed Bundy. Luger took the pin after Tatanka illegally hit him with a DDT. Bobby Coupo, a legal rep of Lawrence Taylor, read a statement. He said they demanded an apology and that Lawrence Taylor had no desire to become a WWF performer. Vince McMahon performed a sit-down studio interview with Diesel. Diesel covered a number of topics including comparing Brett and Owen, his legs being a weakness, and Shawn Michaels. Vince did at one point refer to Diesel as Kevin Nash, while referring to Diesel's life away from the ring. As a correction from last month's TV report, Henry Godwin carries slop in his bucket, not pig shit. Shawn Michaels said on that show he'd be debuting his new bodyguard. At the end of the show, he ended his run as co-commentator. On to February 11th for WWF Superstars. Bam Bam Bigelow does another studio interview. Says everyone is relating to Lawrence Taylor. Nobody is relating to him. He says he won't apologise until he meets him in the ring. Bam Bam wants Taylor to talk for himself, not through his lawyer. He calls Taylor a wimp. Hakushi's manager says Hakushi will prove to people that he is better than everyone in the WWF. He will destroy Bret Hart. The 13th February Raw was preempted by the Westminster Dog Show, so we jump straight to the 18th of February WWF Superstars, and we're back with another legal representative of Lawrence Taylor. They say that a friendly warning to Mr. Bigelow has fallen on deaf ears, so Taylor is being advised to seek legal remedy from Mr. Bigelow and the WWF. They feel that the WWF, separate from Bigelow, have been perpetuating an idea of a match between Taylor and Bigelow. During a tag team match between the Head Shrinkers and the champions, the Smoking Guns, the Blue Brothers and Uncle Zebekiah come out. This match was also noteworthy for Head Shrinker Sione doing a horribly dangerous tombstone piledriver to Billy Gunn. Sione wasn't ever really in control of the move and Gunn's head landed before Sione's knees did. Mercifully, it seems Billy wasn't injured. Fatu superkicks Gunn, but one of the Blue Brothers pulls him off the pin, and eventually both teams are counted out. Bret Hart is presented with the 1994 WWF Magazine Award of the People. Later in the show, Lawler says, and a quote, he thinks racism is an Olympic event. To have a man to watch my back. The suspense continues to build. And that is exactly what I have done. I have talked about it for weeks, and tonight, folks, is the night. Ladies and gentlemen, the new bodyguard of the heartbreak kid, the big, the bad, the vicious, Sid. What? Oh, yeah! What a shot Michael's done. He's cracked up, I think. 
Jesus, if seeing is believing, the eyes of every superstar in the World Wrestling Federation are popping out of their skulls. Tell them, big man. See, I bet millions of people around the world were asking the question, Shawn Michaels, why? Why take the chance on another bodyguard when Diesel turned his back on you when times got tough? See, I'll tell you why. That he can trust me. We sat down. We had a talk. And then the man realized like that. That one, that said you are a man that has no feelings, no remorse for any living soul. But second of all, the most important that I will be by his side at all times. Yes, at all times. When the times are good, oh yeah, and when the times are bad. Ah! But my promise to him is simple. There will be no bad times. And how can I sit here and I say this? We're simple. Together, the heartbreak kid and myself, we will rule the world. Look at this. Because I am the man they call Sid. Let's move on to the February the 20th edition of Monday Night Raw. Uh, covering, uh, so we're, we're not doing kind of a, a full show type analysis as we would do for even like an ECW stuff in part two. Uh, just touching on three specific points from this show. Uh, we'll, we'll start, Kieran, with the, the return of Sid, Sid Vicious, Psycho Sid, they haven't really named him yet, um, just Sid at the moment, uh, as Shawn Michaels' bodyguard. What, what do you think of, uh, one, the pairing and, and two, Sid's promo and that whole segment? Man, I'd, I'd, I'll, I'll come out again. I, I love, I actually love this guy. <laughs> if, if there's one guy that can get across Psycho, or, you know, just, there's something not, there's a bit of a screw loose missing. You know what I mean? That it's Sid. Uh, I, I love the way he came out. I love the way he interacted with the crowd. I love the, I love, actually love the theme music for once, which I don't say very often this, this period for wrestling. Um, yeah, the promo was okay. It was it, it was a tad rambling, but it sort of got the point across that it needed to. Um, and I do really, 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 really like the pairing. I've got to say, but I but that's on the proviso that I am actually a Sid fan, so I'll say that. Jeff, you know I I'm going to play the contrarian here. I coming off of the cool style Diesel and Sean pairing. I think Sid comes off as a little too cartoonish and animated for, for, for HBK. And, and I think, you know, if you're going to contrast, like the, if the last bodyguard is a seven foot big man, maybe the next bodyguard isn't. And I, I just, I look at how WCW was using Ming in a similar situation. And I think that maybe there was a cooler alternative to use. And I know, you know, I fantasy booked a couple things. Ron Simmons is available. He's a free agent. I think that would have been cooler to contrast 
with, you know, the last bodyguard was Diesel, put somebody new. You can bring Sid in, but Sid and Shawn Michaels, I mean, do you think they listen to the same music? Do you think they go to the same clubs? I just don't see the match. I think it adds a cool wrinkle to the WrestleMania match, but I don't, I don't think Shawn Michaels is really going to go, Hey, Sid, uh, you know, I need advice on girls. Not that Shawn Michaels ever needs advice on girls. No, but I, no. I, just, I bet it's all right, Jeff. <laughs> well, you know, maybe he's shy. I mean, uh, <laughs> God, if he's shy, this is a great <laughs> This I'm casting over there, um, but no, I mean, I, I, I know what you mean, Jeff, in the sense that it, it does feel a bit too much like they're putting Sid in as Diesel 2.0. Um, but I, I kind of feel like you can, if you're clever enough, you can tell a different story and make this work and not have it be a rehash of the previous storyline. Um, uh, Sid has some name value for a kickoff and that helps that really helps in that you, you bring in Sid who's a, a former you know big time main eventer we're also bringing in a guy who as Kieran alluded to the, the, the whole unhinged thing isn't all that unfounded we, we talk about his last moments in WCW 18 months ago was stabbing Arn Anderson with some scissors like they're or, or being stabbed as well you know and so there's 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 a lot of truth to that, and I think if they're clever enough, they can tell a very different story, almost that Michael's bought in Sid, not because it was the right fit, but because Sid was just so good. And you can almost, if they want to do this, you can almost eventually kind of pair them off against each other sooner rather than later. Um, but equally, Jeff, does this feel like they're setting up Sid for Diesel? That, that, is that the bigger picture here, and almost like Sid and... And sure, might not last that long, and they'll just go to Sid and and Diesel. Well, assuming that assuming that Diesel retains at Mania, because uh, you want to send the fans home happy in the main event. Uh, who who does Diesel have? Okay, he's got Brett. Well, Brett's gonna work probably Backlund or Lawler maybe. You got Bam Bam, and that's about it. Unless they want to do a rematch with Sean. Maybe Sean wins at WrestleMania. Well, I, I mean, think- they, they, they could do Owen if well. They could do Owen, although apparently Owen wants to go after the tag titles now, so I suspect they won't. Uh, um, I, this, I don't, I don't want to watch Sid versus Diesel as much as I want to see Diesel versus Yoko. You know, it's just, it's not, it's not on my to-do list. Oh Christ, they're going to they're do Diesel and Yoko, aren't they? God, I didn't think about that. <laughs> well, it'd be different. Um, but, but yeah, no, I mean. Uh, yeah, I, I like the introduction. This is a company that isn't dripping with stars right now. And this is also a company, let's not, let's we not forget that is also hemorrhaging a lot of guys at WCW. So I, I think for them, it's almost a win, even if Sid has a lot of weaknesses and he certainly does. It's a win to bring in a guy like that. Um, and, and there, and as I say, if, if they're creative enough with the story, there is a very interesting story you can tell with, with Sean, almost as they're not like Sean and Diesel, certainly in the early period where like they were quite cohesive, but almost the, the kind of the opposites attract type thing and two guys that have very different motivations and very different personalities and see how those mesh. If you're clever enough, you can tell that story. I really like the segment. Um, I thought Sid's promo was very good. I agree with Kieran. I like the music. I thought the rationale was good as well in terms of Sid saying, you know, that there aren't going to be any bad times with me as, as there are with Diesel. And I, I, my only real qualm, Kieran, does, 
does Sean really need a bodyguard? I mean, I know he's small. I know that the theory with Diesel was that it was, the joke was that it was, wasn't to keep Sean off of the fans. It was to keep the fans off Sean. You know what I mean? Away from the women, that kind of thing. But does, does Sean need a bodyguard in the role he's in? Is it not? It, 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 almost as much as I say it's a nice contrast from Diesel in the sense that Sid and Diesel are very different. Is it not just treading over old ground, telling the same type of story? Yeah, it, 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 it totally is. It's it's kind of like, yes, it can be a good pairing. Yes, you're well capable of telling a good story, but do you need to go back to that kind of pairing and that kind of story? And I don't think you do, because again... If you're looking, if you're looking to move Michaels, you know, sort of further up within the company, do you really want anything there that appears him to make him look weak? Another big guy that he's going to stand behind and put in front of himself to fight, you know, where now you kind of feel like, well, no, go on, Sean, you be the guy and you start taking it, you know, you start being the person that takes it to people. You're not hiding behind that big guy anymore. So I kind of feel, well, yes, they could do good things with it. It's not. It's uh, not something they necessarily actually need to do with him. No, I, I I would be surprised if this pairing is going by the end of the year. Let's say that I, I suspect it's a it's a match up because they wanted to get Sid involved in a major program, kind of headed into WrestleMania. And as I say, I suspect they're going to go with Sid and Diesel coming out of WrestleMania. That probably it certainly makes more sense than Diesel and Jeff Jarrett. Let's say that. Um, segwaying quite nicely into the Diesel and Jeff Jarrett WWF title match on the February 20th Raw. Jeff, what do you think of this match? You know, I hated the first half and I enjoyed the second half. Um, for me, I, I I think Jarrett's gimmick's a little goofy uh, to begin with, with the the, light, the lights on the hats and yada yada. Um, I, I think that as the IC champion, he, there were a couple times in the match he shouldn't have been in the spot that he was put in. Um, you, like when Honky Tonk Man was the IC champ, you wouldn't see his ass get beat from pillar post by Hogan, um, because it just makes your second tier champ look super weak. And you know, Jarrett styles a bit Memphis to begin with. And uh, what I didn't like about the first half was he didn't come off as aggressive enough to work somebody like that big babyface style that Diesel works. Um, but as the match progressed, you get the good bumps the, and like Rhodey doing a couple of the funny little high spots. And, you know, once Jarrett started to cheat and get the upper hand, uh, I started to enjoy it. And I think the, the one of the MVPs of this match was Jim Cornette. And one of the things he kept doing was putting over the, the nine knee surgeries of Diesel. And, you know, the fact that that there were consequences to what Jarrett was doing and, you know, I, 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 I would have liked to see Jarrett work a little more aggressively, but I, I found it, uh, I found it pretty fun. But I, I wouldn't have pinned him clean. I think you have Sid and Jarrett, uh, sorry, Sid and, uh, HBK there. You're, you're going into WrestleMania with an IC title match. I mean, Jarrett just got destroyed more or less when the playing field was even. It just felt kind of like a, I don't know, you want to get your world champion over strong, but are you sacrificing, you know, your IC champ? I, I don't know. Karen. Yeah, I kind of agree with Jeff in a way. It was strange about on on Raw. It's quite clear that it's just a, you know it's sort of you have like one match in your main event for a Raw, but then leading up to that, it's a load of squash matches. Well, invariably, so, it's the main event at the top of the show, and then they have squat matches for the rest. This was actually a, a break from formula in many ways, having the the title match kind of two thirds of the way through it. All right, yeah. The, it, 
but it's just it just seemed a real waste of like Jeff said of like somebody who's got that next belt down. Why why feed him to Diesel? It seemed odd, but away from that, it was a it was a it was a solid match. Um, Diesel's really over with the crowd, which is you know obvious really from the way they react. And um, I also had other notes about I thought Cornette was great throughout the whole of of the Raw, not just not just this match in particular. Um, but it kind of got, like I said, it kind of got better when Jarrett started doing the more nefarious stuff and then the roadie gets involved. Then it becomes a bit more entertaining. But it was a, it was a solid match. It was okay. Yeah, for, for, for a TV WF title match, it was good. Um, I think we got this on pay-per-view in the main event. You'd probably be a tad underwhelmed, but it would probably would have got longer as well. Um, but yeah, I, I wasn't, I wasn't blown away by it. There wasn't much memorable stuff in it, but it, it was fine. And this is a, this is a spot that um, that the the company I think used last year. I think they did Yokozuna and Savage um, for a, for the title match, kind of in February, just to kind of fill the fill the gap really between the end of the Royal Rumble uh, and WrestleMania, kind of five or six weeks later. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a fine match. I, I you know I, again I, I didn't love pairing them off against each other, but I think it was the logical match, particularly as the house show loop has been Diesel and Jeff, so that ties in well. And plus, they don't really have any other bona fide heels they can beat at this stage. Or maybe it would have been a perfect spot for Owen Hart, I don't know. But clearly, they've. it seems like they've moved on from Owen Hart quite quickly, which might be quite a shame if they have. But yeah, in terms of the, the, the list of opponents, this was probably about the maybe the better option of, of any of the other candidates as well. Monday 20th of February sees the return of Raw. Despite a lot of speculation that Jesse Ventura would end up replacing Michaels on commentary, it was Jim Cornette in the hot seat. Bam Bam Bigelow made his return, winning a squash match. Jerry Lawler is hosting the King's Court. He's still very vociferous about Bret Hart being a racist. Anyway, Shawn Michaels comes out as his guest. Michaels says he's been a marked man since winning the Brumble. He introduces Sid Vicious as his new bodyguard. Sid spoke about Diesel, about how Sean might not be able to trust a new bodyguard. Sid says he has no remorse, and his promise to Sean is there will be no bad times. Together, they will rule the world. Todd Pettengill has been working hard, and he says that Lawrence Taylor will be on Raw in person next week. Diesel defeats Jeff Jarrett cleanly with a jackknife to retain the WWF title in a decent TV main event. After the match, Sean and Sid walk out on the aisleway. On the 25th edition of WWF Superstars, we start with a 20-man over-the-top battle royal. Shawn Michaels started in the match, but immediately eliminated himself to save himself from the baying jaws of WWF's undercard. Jerry Lawler tried to take a page out of Sean's book by hopping on one foot to prevent elimination, but Bret Hart came out and stamped on the other foot. Michaels returned to attack Bulldog in the final two against one of the Blue Brothers. Despite the interference, Bulldog won and will face Michaels on Raw in the first week in March. Hopes of a big Owen Hart push may have to be put on ice. He wants a tag title shot against the Smoking Guns. He'll need to find a partner first. A bizarre clip 
that we cannot fully do justice in audio involved a mock criminal investigation looking into the disappearance of Yokozuna. Presented were Paul Bearer and Mr. Fuji, with Bearer dressed as a woman. The Undertaker's gong hit, and when the lights come back up, Mr. Fuji was now dressed as a woman. The clip was a bizarre advert for WrestleMania, it seems. We're building to Lex Luger vs. Tatanka on the February 28th edition of Raw. Lex Luger says tonight is payback time for all of Tatanka's actions, including attacking Chief J Strongbow on Action Zone a couple of weeks before. Ted DiBiase is carrying The Undertaker's urn. During the match, Tatanka removes Strongbow's headdress, but Strongbow hit back hitting multiple chops on the Native American. The match ended by countout when it seems like Tatanka just gave up and walked off. Lawrence Taylor appeared for a sit-down interview. He said he was only at the Royal Rumble for a good time, and he wasn't embarrassed by what happened. But the fact that the clip had been constantly replayed on TV was embarrassing. Taylor says Bam Bam pushes like a sissy. He says he's still weighing up his options. He's heard about Bam Bam's challenge, but whatever he did would be right for Lawrence Taylor. He says he's not scared by Bam Bam. Bam Bam Bigelow jumps in from a different studio. Bam Bam says he's more of a man than anyone Taylor would meet. Bam Bam offers Taylor a non-specific challenge, which Taylor accepted. Joining us in our studios to put an end to all of these rumors, the one and the only Lawrence Taylor. Lawrence, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Thank you. Let's take you back, if we may, before we talk about uh, all these rumors, let's take you back to the Royal Rumble itself. There you were at ringside, a guest of Diesel, uh, enjoying the action. Bam Bam Bigelow comes over, and, uh, well, we know the result of what happened. There were, you were shoved down on the concrete floor. Bam Bam later claimed that you were there to disrespect him. Do you feel in your own mind that you showed any disrespect to Bam Bam Bigelow at all? Oh, not at all, you know. Um, I think he disrespected himself. He, he just lost to a 13-year-old. Um, but I, I didn't really, I wasn't there to disrespect him. I wanted to see a, uh, see a match. Um, I'm a friend of Diesel, like you said, and, and um, I was there for a good time. Well, like well, wait else. a minute, wait a minute. What stopped you from going after Bam Bam Bigelow after he shoved you down if, if, if you were just there for a good time? What, what, what stopped you, huh? You well, huh? I thought about going after uh, Bam Bam, but um, uh, that's not my nature. I, I'm not here to fight. I'm not, uh, that's childish. I think what he did was childish, and um, I let him go, and we'll sell it other ways. Well, speaking of that, it seems to me that the, the, that incident uh, at the Sun Dome in Tampa was, no matter how you look at it, a rather embarrassing one, certainly for the World Wrestling Federation, and I would suggest an embarrassing one for you as well. Well, it's embarrassing, so to speak, because um, I wasn't expecting that. And if I was expecting that, I would have been ready for it. But I wasn't expecting that. And a lot of people, you know, they, they take the time out and they acknowledge me out there. And, and uh, the World Wrestling Federation was very gracious in the beginning of the show and then show me out there and, and, and acknowledge myself being there. But... Um, then we just keep playing it over and over and over on national TV. That's when it becomes really embarrassing, especially when the fans actually you know what's going on. And um, I wasn't pushed like that when I was in the in, in NFL, so I don't expect to be pushed like that right now. 
Well, let's talk about that a little bit more. And I would suggest that you have been barraged, have you, have you not, by so many, many fans who have said, Lawrence, what are you going to do about this? Uh, you know, how did it feel to be shoved by Bam Bam Bigelow? And yes, it was played over and over and over again. To me, uh, I would suggest that you have been barraged, have you not, by any number of individuals wanting to know what you're going to do about this. Yeah, a lot of people ask me, to, you know, what am I going to do and um, how does it feel to be pushed by Bam Bam? But, you know, <laughs> he pushed like a sissy anyway, so it didn't really hurt. <laughs> but, oh, come um, on! That's what uh, I'd call for. Uh, well, whatever. But um, I am still weighing my options. Uh, I've heard him about this big challenge and talk about this challenge and everything. I'm weighing my options. I'll take my time and I'll decide what I'm going to do. But whatever I decide to do, uh, I know it'll be the right thing for Lawrence Taylor. Well, along those lines, Bam Bam has uh, made a number of accusations, Lawrence. Uh, um, among them is that, uh, and again, we thank you for joining us tonight, but uh, among those accusations is that you have been, if you would, Bear with us, hiding behind uh, your agent, your manager. Hey, your come attorney. on out and say it. He's scared. He's hiding behind his manager, hiding behind his agent, hiding behind everybody. He's scared. Are you scared or what? Tell if the I, world. Hey, if I get scared, I call the police. You hear me calling the cops, did you? So I'm, I'm not scared of nobody. No man in the world am I scared of. Especially not Bam Bam Bigelow. And not you either. Uh, what do you think of, of Bam Bam as an athlete? Well, tell you the truth. <laughs> The guy's a big guy, and I think he's a tremendous athlete for his size. Uh, I see him get up on that top rope, and he do do a lot of amazing things. Um, for his athletes, goes, he's a tremendous athlete. What about then Lawrence uh, as a human being? What do you think of uh, Mr. Bigelow as a human being? Well, I really can't. I really only want to go into his. Um, how he is as a human being. I, hey, hey I, um, wait, wait a minute. Wait uh, just a minute. Everybody's catered to Lawrence Taylor. Everybody's asking what Lawrence Taylor thinks. Everybody wants to know what Lawrence Taylor has on his mind. I want to get to the facts. I want to get to the truth. I want to find out what really happened from the guy that I care who's who gives his opinion. And I'm talking about my friend Bam Bam Bigelow. As a matter of fact, Bam Bam, I know you're out there on the hookup. Can you hear me? Bam yes. Bam. Yes, I can, Jimmy. I hear you loud and clear. And, you know, I also heard what Lawrence Taylor had to say. He had to say, I was beat by a 13-year-old. Well, the one, two, three kid, he's not a 13-year-old. He's a member of the WWF. It's a new generation. And in the WWF, anything can happen. And as far as me as a man, Lawrence Taylor, I'm more of a man than any man you're ever going to meet. <coughs> yeah, well, it seems to me you're choking up a little bit here, Mr. Bigelow. I mean, well, you know, here, this it, is your opportunity. Up, you know, it, it, what I hear is I hear from Lawrence Taylor's attorney. I hear from Lawrence Taylor's manager. All I'm hearing, now I'm finally hearing from Lawrence Taylor. And what I got to hear from Lawrence Taylor... You don't Taylor want to hear from is, me. You don't want to hear from me. Listen, Lawrence Taylor, you don't scare me. Nobody scares uh, me. And if you think I pushed you like a sissy, let me tell you something. When I pushed you, that was one tackle that you did not make. And if I was a football player on the line, I would have retired you a long still, time I, I'm ago. I'm right here, brother. I'm right here. Yeah, you're right there, and I'm right here. And unfortunately, I'm not I Dream a Genie, and I can't snap my fingers and be there. But one day, I'm going to be there, and at the Harley-Davidson Cafe, I'm going to be there. And the question is, Lawrence Taylor, are you going to show up? Are you going to be there? Are you going to tell the world what we want to hear or what I want to hear? Hey, I'll be there, brother. You be there, be there, because I'm going to be there, Lawrence Taylor, and I want you to accept my challenge, yeah, yeah. because if you're the, you the you dress, you are, you're the man that you say you are, you're the man that you say you are, 
then you're going to have to prove right. to me Thank you very and the much. world what kind of man you really are. I'm Bam Bam Thank you Bigel. very much. Bam Bam. Thank you very much. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much for joining us. Taylor Bam, Bam, ran Bigelow. off again. Did you see that? Lawrence Lawrence Taylor. Taylor ran off again. Uh, and we move on to our final discussion point uh, of the show. Uh, Bam Bam Bigelow and Lawrence Taylor. Um, we're going to get that match to WrestleMania if that hasn't been confirmed yet, but, well, clearly where they're headed. Um, a series of promos this month in terms of we've had Bam Bam cutting a lot of promos. We've had uh, multiple legal representatives, Lawrence Taylor on many WWF superstars. Um, but it culminated in this promo on the 27th edition of Raw uh, with Bam Bam. We had a promo with Lawrence Taylor in a studio uh, being interviewed by Vincent Mann and Jim Cornette uh, from ringside. And then Bam Bam jumps in, as you, you've heard. You, you'll have heard that promo as well. Um, Kieran, I, I think a lot of credit goes to Lawrence Taylor, who we've seen a lot of different you know, celebs, or sports people, one or the other, kind of in, in these roles. Lawrence Taylor, I mean, he wasn't polished perfect, but that almost kind of helped. He, he sounded very natural, very believable. I thought I thought he did a tremendous job in, these seg- in this segment. Yeah, he, he, he sounded, you know, he didn't sound like he was totally new to the wrestling because if you didn't know who he was outside of it you didn't know who he was you th- you think well this guy can cut a decent promo he could hang with bam bam on on the mic they were doing a bit i loved the i loved the, and loved the back and forth that they were doing you know he didn't he didn't start stuttering over his words he, i mean bam bam calls him at one point he calls him a punk and he doesn't react he just keeps his cool he's he was the same sort of even tempered throughout and i was really 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 impressed i was not expecting him to be that at, at what he did Jeff, uh, you know, I think in light of all the scandals and all the things that WWF has had to go through, uh, when I'm changing the channels and I see that tattooed skull of Bam Bam Bigelow's on mainstream television, that grabs my attention. And this could really springboard Bam Bam. I think that, you know, win, lose, or draw at WrestleMania, watch out Diesel. Because Bam Bam Bigelow has, he's an awesome big man. You, uh, you know, I, we, we've been, you know, really putting Vader over today. Bam Bam Bigelow is pretty cool too. And heel or babyface, he can do it all. I think he can pull a good brawl out of Lawrence Taylor. Lawrence Taylor, obviously, Hall of Fame level athlete. Um, the one thing I've always thought is at the Royal Rumble, it kind of felt like, I don't know, I, as a, maybe as a wrestling fan, I almost felt like Taylor was the heel. You know? Um, I kind of want to see Bam Bam just show him, hey, this isn't this isn't the football field. This is a wrestling ring, and this is my yard, you know? Um, but I, I think it's really good for WWE, good publicity to put a guy out. Everybody's going to notice who Bam Bam Bigelow is, and this can only be good for them. So I, I've really enjoyed the whole thing. Yeah, no, I, I, Bam Bam is phenomenal <laughs> in this last month five or six weeks in terms of his believability, his promos, his conviction. Uh, he, he ticks every box in terms of just coming coming across exactly as you want him to come across. Promos are, are, are I don't want to say better than I expect. He's cut promos before, but I think this is his, his best promo run that I've seen. Um, and in terms of Lawrence Taylor being a believable opponent. I don't know quite they've done that yet. They've got a, a month and a bit to go. But equally, like Lawrence Taylor so far has done a really good job. I, I liked his attitude. I like the thing about mocking, you know, Bam Bam for losing to a 13-year-old, the one, two, three kid. And I quite like the <laughs> fact that Bam Bam didn't heal up on that point. He said, look, this is part of 
the WWF roster. And as you say, Jeff, it's almost kind of like you almost wonder whether it t- started out as a, a heel Bam Bam face Lawrence Taylor thing. But if they wanted to, I don't think it would take much to shift that to a, a heel Lawrence Taylor and a face Bam Bam almost. Um, that's not the way they're going. But in terms of Bam Bam standing up and saying, look, you know, you want to get in our yard? You know, you've got to find out how tough it is. Admittedly, it's Bam Bam making all the challenges and they are going to give him a heel. I think that's probably right. Um, but, but I like how they've done that. I like how they've blurred the lines a little bit and I like how both the guys come across. Jeff, for me, this, this, this program so far, I and mean, we're going to talk about next month about, we'll, we'll preview the matchup itself and whether that's going to be any good. But in terms of the build, I think Jeff, they've done a great job. Absolutely. I think, uh, I think we're seeing the rise of maybe WWF's next big heel star in Bam Bam. He's going to get a ton of press. Uh, he's got that kind of street promo. Like he has kind of that thuggish talk to him. And I think, I think the, I think the one thing WWF should do in the build, and I hope they do it is, you know, there's a lot of really great Lawrence Taylor highlights of him just smashing guys. And earlier in the show, we talked about Duggan's three point stance. Boy, you want to talk about physicality? I mean, go back to the Joe Theismann leg break. I mean, Lawrence Taylor is a real deal. You know, yeah, he's he's a gridiron great. And I think that putting those two in, I mean, is it going to be a good match? I don't know. But I think there's a good amount of hype to that match. Karen? Yeah, I mean, I actually, uh, I'm so sort of not caring about what the actual final match is going to be I think the build if they carry on going this way the build will be so good unless the match is truly terrible I don't think it will matter because the build will have been so good and especially like Jeff said if they start mixing in and showing video of Lawrence Taylor and what he can do from linebacker see what he can do physically to get him more over you combine that and put that in a montage of what Bam Bam can do you know, sort of maybe just in, in the raw before mania, then I think that's just going to be at fever pitch then. Yeah. No, just to, to echo what you guys have said, I think so far so good. And, and Kieran, I think, well, whichever one of you said it, I think are right. I don't think the match quality, providing it's not that bad, is really going to matter. I don't think that they've not brought in Lawrence Taylor to be a guy to have a four and a half star match. They've brought in Lawrence Taylor to be a guy who can add some, pizzazz and can add some kind of celebrity laid eyeballs onto this show and providing they can get a couple of really nice photos and you know a good story out of it that that's all lawrence taylor's there for but if if lawrence take that's the thing like lawrence taylor could be a success for wwf even if he was really bad just because if he bought extra eyeballs onto the product it'd be great if the hardcore audience are a bit let down by by a match being in the main event that's not that good, then Sodom. If the match is okay, I think that's all it needs to be. It's going to put eyeballs on the car, and you hope that matches like Brett and uh, Brett and Backlund and Diesel and Sean can make up for it. But anyway, that will end this month's show. Very th- good. Big thanks, firstly to Kira Mitchell. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me again. No worries, Kieran. You're on Twitter. I am. I'm at Twitter at Joten Thrash six six six. Do you want to spell that out for us? It's J-O-T-U-N-T-H-R-A-S-H-666. And Jeff Parker. Jeff, big thanks for being on the show today. Oh, no, I really appreciate uh, getting to talk wrestling with you guys. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, and you are on Twitter? I am, at Jeff P. Parker. Excellent. That's Jeff with a J for, for, for what that's worth. But, no, Jeff, I mean, we, we've been... 
we've been interacting for a couple of years since you took over from from my gig on WrestleZone a couple of years ago. And I remember at the time I was kind of keen before I even started this project to kind of do some podcasting or some related project work with you. And um, yeah, it's great to have you on. I, I I I throw myself and probably everyone else who's ever appeared on this show under a bus when I say this, but I think you're one of the better wrestling minds that I've come across in terms of mm. just random X on Twitter that doesn't necessarily have millions of followers, but kind of has a very smart mind for the business. And I think in terms of you're showing tonight in terms of your your history or knowledge of stuff going back in the day as well as forward as well. So everyone is worth a follow, but if you're only going to follow one guy from this project, don't make it me, make it him. Uh, anyway, that will wrap up this month's show. We're introducing, an, uh, not really a segment now, but a new bit. Basically, we used to, those people who listened to the show for a while will remember uh, moments of the month, which was basically my thought of people picking their best moment of the month, but also for you, the listener, to, to hear what, the guests had to think of their favourite segments of the month or most noteworthy. Now, while we were doing one show and the the collective group were all watching everything, it made sense. But now we're we're doing multiple tapings, particularly different people are watching different things. It doesn't quite work so well. So we're going to introduce basically my own version of that, which is what Bob recommends to watch uh, this month. So in no particular order, I would recommend firstly uh, Alex Wright and Paul Romer. It's not great, but it's very very noteworthy, and you'll you'll have heard the 15 minutes of us speaking about that. Um, we quickly move to ECW. You've got this to come. There is a phenomenal Chris Benoit Al Snow match from ECW. We review that in volume two. That's great. Uh, also on ECW as well, the, the Terry Funk return, that segment that uh, we review at the end of, uh, of volume two. I think that's February 28th, Hardcore TV. I think that is a tremendous segment of television. Uh, I would also recommend Hogan and Vader just for it being a big fight feel uh just phenomenal in that regard and also uh, you've heard the main promo in audio but if you're on the lookout on raw or on superstars from this month anything bam bam bigelow related is really good I, i cannot understate how good bam bam bigelow has been this month but anyway that will that will end this month's show you can follow me on twitter at bobby bamba you can follow the project on twitter at wrestling 20 rs we're on itunes you want to leave us a rating and a review we are on facebook.com forward slash wrestling 20 rs if you want a, a treat on facebook if you're well so if you're listening at the time then it was last week if you're listening x amount of time to the future it was february 23rd 2015 i posted a a short clip of sione from the head shrinkers nearly breaking billy gunn's neck by botching a tombstone pile driver if you can find that that's that's worth checking out and there's also a video up there of paul bear addressed as a woman and if that doesn't make you like our facebook page i don't know what will anyway that will wrap up this much show next up we've got wcw uncensored including uh blacktop bully and dustin rhodes on the back of a truck that could be fun. But until next time, I'll be Bob Bambert. This has been the Volume 1 of the February 1995 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>